You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians Network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe on Patreon at WeAreLibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content. Too much. I got behind on Loki Wall, so there's like eight hours of every show in the in the private RSS feed. So go check that out. There was a full forty minutes before we actually started the show on Tuesday night, mostly of Harry talking because I'm getting ready, trying to get stuff set up, and then uh, Harry was talking about tech and all that. But it had a nice back and forth. Forty minutes of extra show. I apologize if that's not tantalizing to you. <laughs> I totally get it. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Tonight we're going to be talking about bad Trump, uh, talking about drug dealer, uh, putting drug dealers to death. We're going to talk about tariffs. We're going to talk about uh, troops deployed to the border and Trump's feud with Amazon. Joining me tonight... Galt's in the house. Galt, you beautiful son of a bitch. How are you? I'm great. I got my buddy Mittens here. Mittens is, is She's right. my best friend until I touch her and then she wants to bite me. Well, <laughs> just like any woman, isn't it? Yep. Yep, I get it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's so odd to have you here with extra buddy Creighton. I know. I'm it's sad. Kind of weird. Or Tad. Or Tad. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Tad was supposed to be here, but he was out with uh, some filly this past weekend and must have gotten a disease, so he's not not feeling too good. But we do have callers. Hope you feel better, Tad. I don't. Uh, <laughs> unnecessarily <laughs> mean. Stupid and mean for no reason. Uh, that's my motto. <laughs> uh, we are... At least you haven't changed. No, never. <laughs> I'll never change. It's too late now. Uh, we are taking phone calls for Patreon subscribers only. Uh, Patreon subscribers at $10 a month and up get the uh, get notified that we're watching the live... That we're alive on YouTube and you can go watch the uh, the stream, and they can call in at 317-699-7236. And we have a caller. Uh, we've, been, we've been featuring this. Uh, and so I, when I pull you up on the air, 478, uh, please state your name and what is your oh, business that's here. That's me. Who, yeah. Wait, wait, wait to wait hey, for Grinch, me. It's Stone. Would you let it's me film? <laughs> All right. Listen. This is going to be rough. <laughs> Who is this? This is Stone. Oh my God! It's my son Stone. How are you, Stone? <laughs> I'm pretty good. I'm out in the backwoods right now. That's why I'm probably not going through too well. Now, Stone. But, Stone is one yeah, of our super I decided, fans. I needed to. I decided I need to uh, call in. Um, because it's been what three episodes with call-ins, and I haven't. Now, what would lead you? To believe that you should call in. Super fan status. I just, I, <laughs> it's, it's really gone to my head, man. You have no idea how how much of an ego you've created. Yeah, I don't I walk past people all the time, and I'm like, "Ha, I'm a super fan. What are you? What do you do?" He's also very libertarian, if you can't tell. Yeah. Uh, Stone is a super fan. He is like 21, 22 years old. He went specifically to buy a credit card, one of those reloadable cards, so he could become a Patreon subscriber and get all the goodies. So that's how he achieves super fan status. Nice. And he's a janitor, so he's he's basically, he's like double tithing to We Are Libertarians, aren't you, Stone? <laughs> Actually, I'm a meat clerk too now, so I have two jobs. Oh, that's why I hadn't been on as often. Wow, slinging yep. the meat, yep. are you? Two for one. How, how do you oh, like yeah. it? Yep, sixteen hours. I said, been sixteen hours of my weekend with meat uh, <laughs> at Kroger, so that's fun. Well, that's great. I worked. At, that was my first job well, was at Kroger. Really, doing mm-hmm. what? I uh, did a little bit of everything except for meat. <laughs> <laughs> you were avoiding the meat, it's were you? Not fun. I avoided the meat, but you do get a pay raise if you work in meat. Oh yeah, yeah. You get paid I more. Started at nine dollars. See, bad. Yeah, you not only that, but you get trichinosis too. Six eighty five was what I started at <laughs> before <laughs> minimum wages, whatever it is now. How long ago was that, Galt? <laughs> well, I don't know. It was like 2008. <laughs> yeah, long time ago. That's yeah. a, can you believe that's a decade ago? I know. I think all the time. Like <laughs> I can't believe 2008 was a decade ago. I know. It seems like the year. The, it, and now every year seems like that. It's <laughs> un- unbelievable how fast time flies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stone, how old are you? I'm 20. Not quite 21. I wish, man. I'm all ready. All right, now Stone, I have adopted as my son because uh, I am fourteen years older than he is. Uh, I see a lot of myself in him, uh, and I, I uh, 
don't want him to make the same mistakes I made. So I've taken Stone under my wing, and I like to give him advice. So, Stone, is there any advice that you'd like to get from Chris Galt and I? Because when you need advice, you need it from Chris Galt and Chris Spangle, who are two very successful, handsome young men. Uh, <laughs> what, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I serve you today, Stone? That's, that's a very good question. Um, recently, I've had a problem in my backyard where uh, I have a small pond, and the frogs, they've been turning gay. And I need to know what the solution is to that. Well, first you need to ask is yourself... Is there something I can buy? Chris Galt, is there anything There's that, nothing you can do once they're already gay. Oh, how could it have... Genocide. How could it have been prevented? Prevention? Yes. Water. Water? It's all about the water in that pond. It's coming from the government, that pond is. Okay. <laughs> now, if you're putting water into your pond, what kind of water should I buy for my Fluoride pond? Fluoride-free water Fluoride, for your okay. fish and your frogs and your body. <laughs> no fluoride. Okay. So do I, need to, do I need to tell my cousins that they need to fill their pool with this fluoride-free water as well? I think if you're a good cousin, you let them just find it out the hard way and then laugh at them for having gay frogs, never admitting that you, too, have gay okay. frogs. Yeah, don't ever tell anyone. All right. Wow, did they catch it from you is right. what I would say as I point and laugh. I just put it, we just put it up. Isn't this, this is a national show here, and I just put it on air. Thank you for that, Chris. Well, nobody's listening. Don't now worry. Now everybody knows that I have. Everyone knows that I have gay frogs now. All right, my boy. Good, good luck with your gay frog problem. All right, and uh, listen, embrace the gay frogs. Enjoy those gay frogs. There's nothing you can do now. Have them come into your house. Have them teach All you right. to cook. Have them teach you to dress. Yeah, they've Quit. got great fashion advice. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna stay inside. Layers and hats. From now on. And <laughs> All right, bye, Stone. It's George, I can't dress in layers. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Stone. <laughs> See, that was very subtle. What he just said that you might not have catched. Uh, the new queer eye is in Georgia, and he's like, they, they always say dress in layers. He's like, I'm in Georgia. I can't dress in layers. <laughs> oh, Stone. All right, let's get to business. Enough fun. All We've right. had enough fun. That on was this a lot. That's a lot of fun. Uh, that a lot of fun here on Schweity Balls. Man, so Trump's been a bad boy. So Ben Shapiro has, and, and it's not groundbreaking radio. This, but he's he has a little segment he calls Good Trump, Bad Trump. And he basically takes all the things that Trump does that are good and all the things that Trump does are bad. And he calls, says, OK, this is bad Trump. And you around the last time you were on, I mean, we were all and you're, you're a Trump fan. I was probably the biggest his biggest proponent on here. Easily. Yeah. Well, Back, second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the the December Trump, I liked. Yeah. I, I called mean, him the most libertarian president we've had. Sure did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm gonna. Oops. oops. <laughs> I'm just gonna read some things for the next hour and a half, and let's see how you feel about that oh, at the end no. of this episode. I specifically wanted you and Tad to be here because you two are pro-Trump. Yeah. Uh, and and I wanted you to n not necessarily to defend, but just to sit here and listen to bad Trump. No, I need 2017 Trump back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of it is uh, Trump has lost a lot of his security blankets. I mean, he's lost Hope Hicks. Mm -hmm. I was saying on a show a couple of weeks ago, if you go back and you read the Fire and Fury book, so early February, I'm traveling to Students for Liberty, and I I was like 75% percent 
done with the book, so I was like, I'm going to just finish this up on the on the trip out there. I'm going to D.C. I might as well read a D.C. book. And uh, none of the people in that book work there anymore, except for Jared Kushner. Wow. It's it, it's a completely irrelevant book. Like, this was the hot book that we were all talking about in January, and none of it is relevant anymore because none of those people work there anymore. Nope. And, and That's what Trump's known for, fire, fire, fire. You know, if they're not doing what he needs them to do, he just cuts them. But replaces does, them with a new team, and it. But it might not be. It could be a team that he equally can't trust, just like the last. Yeah, he's like, I'm finally getting my team in place. It's like we're gonna be on our third FBI director, right? Who picked the team so, in the first place? Yeah, uh, and he picked the last one. So yeah, he's 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 a hot mess, and like he just keeps. So it's finally people have finally figured out his rhythms. You listen to all these talk shows, and they're like, "Listen, I know he said this about Amazon, but that doesn't mean anything. Right. He could be praising Jeff Bezos next week. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, you know, yes, he says he's going to impose these tariffs, but he may not actually do it. Right? He says one thing and does another. He says he might put troops on the border, but he might not do it." When an issue uh, strikes fire under Trump, he gets overly obsessive about it. <laughs> right. Like, to where every morning he gets up, that's the only thing he can think about is Amazon, so he has to send a nasty tweet, because that's all he can think about. <laughs> a lot of it, and they they have done, a lot of reporters have done studies where they watch Fox and Friends in the morning, and then they just compare what the segment was about with the Trump tweet, and it always matches up. Really? And the reporters who track this stuff can tell what TV show he's watching in the morning by what he's tweeting out. Wow. And I do this like when I'm prepping mm-hmm. for the show, I'm reading stuff, tweeting stuff out going, you know, I want to tweet I'm angry about this. I'm going to tweet this. Uh and I'm trying to do less of that because I think the the clip that we played a couple episodes ago with Tahanisha Coates where he's saying, "Is this good for me?" Like part of growing up is realizing what's not good for you. Mm-hmm. And I need to be more thoughtful in what I put out in the world, and so I'm trying to you know, I I was like that's a good idea. I should probably do that. People can listen to me here. They don't need to read my Twitter or Facebook. I'm done posting uh, politics on face on Facebook totally. But oh, uh, yeah, on my personal, yeah. yeah. I mean, I keep it like, all separate. What's the point? It that does, you have four ten thousand followers that all are following you for one reason. Yeah, but it doesn't. It <laughs> doesn't your political commentary. <laughs> it doesn't change any minds. No. Like it, it's you have a cult of personality. Well, then they can go to wearelibertarians.com or <laughs> walpolitics.com and find the information there. Because, uh, or just like, done with the Facebook medium. I, I'm still posting in the group and I'm still posting on the Facebook page. But like my personal Facebook, people don't care. It doesn't change any minds. It just makes people crazy. It makes me crazy, and it causes unnecessary stress. Like, why? What's the point? Yeah, you know, it's the same five trolls that get on there, like John Ulrich, mm. who just gets on there and <laughs> trolls somebody, and then they get mad, and then they're in my private messages going, "What's wrong with your friend?" Yeah, like, I posted uh, something about how open borders are stupid, and I don't understand why everybody's flaming me. Right. <laughs> well, see, we got this guy in the in the, our Facebook group, which you can join at WeAreLibertarians.com. We got a multitude of Facebook groups. Uh, go to our Facebook page, and you can see the whole listing there. But John is John is like thirty nine, maybe thirty eight. So he's not a boomer, but he sure does act like one. I mean, he went to IUPUI around the time I was, so he was late to the party. And he was a male cheerleader. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but his reasoning was spot on, because go look at his wife. He's like, I'm the only guy that is around these women most of the time, and he ended up marrying one. Hmm. So 
Stone. Biggest mistake of my life. Stone, be a male cheerleader. That's the, <laughs> it's not too late. It's not too you're late. You're only 20. You, <laughs> your frogs can teach you. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> nothing is more acrobatic than a gay frog. Absolutely. No doubt. <laughs> uh, so, you know, John is a boomer, a conservative boomer who just gets in the uh, in the Facebook group and like, Russell, Russell, Russell. And then on the opposite, there's some like Bissell guy who's a lefty who's always rustling. <laughs> Reinhold gets in there and he's like, Ree! Ree, <laughs> Reinhold. So it is a good time. It's all in fun. Nobody ever seems to get mad. And we like our, our boomer John. We have a few of them. They're, they're really, yeah. the ones we have at least aren't too bad to talk to. We like our boomers. <laughs> we like debating them. Mm-hmm. And they'll come around. Hopefully. Will they? <laughs> no. <laughs> like you said, nobody changes their mind on there anyway. No. I, I think in studies, uh, study after study shows that like posting articles on Facebook changes nobody's mind. And that's that's why I'm a big believer in the podcast because we create, and, and I think, and if you have a story like this, I'd love to read it on air. So email me at editor at wealibertarians.com. I see so many great letters from people who write into the podcast going, you know, I, I was curious about libertarianism. I was curious about libertarian politics. I didn't know much about it, but I've listened to the show for a couple of years and you guys have changed my thoughts on this or I have become a libertarian or I have, I think this way, like uh, I was listening, I was talking to somebody who is part of the Mises caucus and they're like, you know, I was really into this, but the more I listen to you, I go, we're not actually winning friends and influencing people in the way that we're messaging. We need to kind of change the way we message. You know, and this is, and I hope they do. I'd love for the Mises Caucus to be more effective and less flame war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Definitely. so that's the kind of stuff that We Are Libertarians is able to do because mm. we're passive. That's the power of podcasting. We can create more libertarians because you have the ability to think about what we're saying and process it and judge for yourself as opposed to because you know you're mowing the lawn you're driving your car you're cooking dinner and so your brain isn't engaged in that linear thinking it's it's in passive mode and so you can kind of process stuff a different way as opposed to when you're on facebook you're like this guy's wrong and i've got to prove him wrong and you're just like a dog with a bone. So you get those letters all the time about the podcast, about uh, I people would, changing their minds I would and say becoming two, libertarian. Two to three a month. And you don't ever get that on Facebook? Nobody ever messages you and says... No, I get it on Facebook Messenger. About I get it, the podcast. About, but, about the podcast. But never about anything you post on Facebook. Never. I get... It's really funny. I love, what, I love the stuff you post. They like the irreverent stuff. Mm-hmm. They love the meme stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the stuff that... So brilliantly was done by by Greg and Aaron and Tad specifically a couple of years ago. That's the stuff people like on Facebook, hmm. but that's not necessarily changing minds. That's shit posting for fun. Yeah, you know. So that's what most of Facebook is now. Exactly, shit posting for fun. Because it's it, you brought it up, and and that's the reason they're bringing Zuckerberg in front of Congress here soon is because they see Facebook now as the largest media company in the world. Yeah, because they're. I mean, heck it. Russians influenced our election through them. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're going to be grilling Zuckerberg hard about media and about, about you know... Uh, I wonder... If, I want, Keep talking. I wonder if I can find this clip. Uh, it's just... You're, you're saying that, you know, your show is getting all this response, but Facebook's not. 
but Facebook's the one that's in front of Congress, you know, like they're the ones being scrutinized and they're probably going to be regulated and they're really not having the influence that they, that the numbers show, right? Uh, yeah. Billions of people use it, but it doesn't have the influence that it's, it, it, it could have. It, that it used to. Or that I, it used I can to tell have. you that for sure. Like you, you used to see hundreds mm-hmm. of people hitting your website referred by Facebook a day and you know and we are libertarians we used to get so much traffic from Facebook and we even if we direct post to the website uh, to Facebook we don't get nearly as much like let me see uh, Facebooks they they uh, they punish you if you use outside links and things like that yeah. they want you to stay in there in ecosystem so I can show you who was our top referrer for the day because I did post a couple things on the website that auto posts to Facebook. We have 87,000 Facebook likes, you know, which is not insignificant. Right. Uh, but the number one refer is always Google now, not Facebook. And that's partly because so people of- people find your Facebook posts more on Google than they find them on Facebook. Yes. So 57 people- so we've had 117 views today. 57 of those came from search engines. <laughs> 11 came from Facebook. And then the rest were, you know, one from Twitter, uh, one from HumbleLibertarian.com. So, so, you know, yesterday it was 56 search engines, seven Facebook. So, wow. yeah. And those are two days that I posted articles to the, to the Facebook page page uh-huh. of 87,000 people it said hey go back to our website and read this thing or watch this thing and way more people found it just by searching it just on by Google. searching it yep wow organic mm-hmm because <clears throat> of they they There's search something seriously wrong with Facebook well we like today we got 26 hits uh my top 10 libertarian podcasts so I've put up stuff about you know what are the top libertarian podcasts and websites and stuff like that? Some SEO stuff, essentially, mm-hmm. and that's how we're found. We're found by people searching for libertarian podcasts. So, hmm. yeah, no, I think that's there is something wrong. That's why Rare just went out of business. There's several of these clickbaity sites that are going out of business because they're not getting traffic. But Facebook will always have that traffic. Well, Facebook <clears throat> has the eyeballs, but Facebook has a vested interest in not getting you out of the Facebook ecosystem. Right. Each one of these sites have this. They don't want to be a they don't want to be Reddit, you know. Yeah, they don't want to be a redirect. They yeah, they want to be the uh, Google doesn't want to send you to Facebook. They want you to post that same thing on Google Plus. It's why you get so many damn notifications about uh Michael, how did you find us? I'd like like to hear. He said that's how I found you guys. Uh but for the first time in a long time, Google is now back on top in terms of top referral to a website over Facebook. And it used <laughs> to be tons of organic traffic. So there was a time when Facebook gave you more traffic. Oh, it was 60%. Wow. And Google would be 35% and then 5% Twitter. And then everything else would be negligible. What kind of questions would you like them to ask, Congress to ask Zuckerberg, about this and Facebook and uh, being as that you're a page owner and a community driver, what what do you want them to? Well, I think he really needs to figure out if he's a publisher or if he's a platform because there's a big difference. You know, there is. Uh, I am a publisher. I'm a person who has built a website and platforms so I can curate content and talk about 
my opinion and I pick, you know, I pick up people like you and mm-hmm. say, hey, give your opinion on this stuff. Yep. And you uh, just pump information out. Pump information publish, out. Publish, publish, publish. Right. And so there's an editorial purpose to that. But, right. And I think what Zuckerberg has always wanted to be is a platform where if I built WeAreLibertarians.com to be a forum, and it doesn't matter what you guys say or do, I'm just building the infrastructure. Right. Like Reddit doesn't have, supposedly, Reddit doesn't have like any kind of editorial control over what goes on except for banning entire subreddits. Right. Uh, and, and so they're just pure platform. 4chan, pure platform. Like that, there's almost, mm-hmm. there's community No mods. one's responsible for anything that's on there. Right. There's, uh, I mean, there's barely any, I don't even know if somebody owns 4chan or what. Like it's just mm-hmm. anarchy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but so there's there's some Facebook has crept into somewhere in between, and I think what Congress wants and what politicians want because they have a vested interest in controlling what content is seen and basically controlling thought as mm-hmm. any government does. They want Zuckerberg to be more of a publisher mm-hmm. because once they start public, once he starts being a publisher, he's now held accountable for what's on his website. And the more accountable he is, the more they can beat him down, regulate him, control what he does, and diminish his power. And punish him. And punish him. And mm-hmm. he's going to give in to it, and he's going to give them whatever they want, because it's in his interest to be regulated. Because then that cements his place on top. Yep. And so there be, there comes a point in these major companies, and it happened with the quote-unquote robber barons and that age, where these companies are radically innovative and they create new markets and they create new industries, and then they get so big that politicians start picking on them, and then they just basically write the regulations and they, you know what, you're right. Let me help you write that. Yep. And then get in bed with the government. Yep. Because that'll solidify them th- for longer in history. Right. And if you think Facebook is going to, like, if let's say Mark Zuckerberg and I sat down and we had a conversation, and then he had a conversation with Lindsey Graham, do you think that? He's going to take what I say with more weight, a person who is uh, an active member of Facebook's community for over 17 years. I mean, the second it came to IAPUI, 2004, 2005, I jumped on it. I don't know if that's 17 years, but I can't do math. Uh, I'm a person who has built businesses using his tool. I have promoted his tool. I have spent millions of dollars <laughs> literally uh, in terms of mm-hmm. free advertising to get people to his product versus Lindsey Graham who's a congressman who probably doesn't have an account right that he's ever logged into but he's going to sit there and take what Lindsey Graham says with more weight because Lindsey Graham has the force of government behind him mm-hmm. i don't have the i i i have to get 2 billion of my friends to put him out of business Right, Lindsey Graham can have it have it done in a, write a in, bill. in a period of two years mm-hmm. through the, you know through manipulating media and propagandizing the company and lifting out you know obscure little things and saying see this is the problem you know like this Russian thing is not that big of a deal right. you're, you're talking about Hillary Clinton spent two billion dollars and Russian trolls spent a hundred thousand dollars. And Hillary Clinton lost, and, uh, and we're these... still spending money on it, right? <laughs> like it's it's not that big of a deal, but it is a great way to propagandize against mm-hmm. the company, and the media is willingly complicit in it because Facebook stole their revenue. They have yeah. taken away our power to be the thought leaders. Mm-hmm. 
if we don't want Chris Galt being a thought leader, the Channel Nine News should be the thought leader because we're journalists and we we uh, you know we we should right. have licensed journalists. Uh, so. So yeah, Michael says, <laughs> I was looking for different podcasts since most of the conservative talk shows were uh, blinded by the Trump bandwagon, and I wanted a different perspective, so I Googled libertarian podcast, and, mm. and that's how Stone found us, too. So Nice. So that's why I wrote like my top ten libertarian podcasts. They Googled was, Chris Galt and, uh, podcast, yeah, and that's exactly. how they found it. So let's get on to Bad Trump. <laughs> oh, Bad Trump. Yeah. Uh, and you can call in if you're a Patreon subscriber, if you want to get in on it, 317-699. Yes, I chose 69 for a reason. <laughs> 317-699-7236. Uh, put that in your cell phone. So on Tuesday nights, we have call-ins for everybody. If you're a Patreon subscriber watching on the live feed, then you can call in on Thursdays as well when we're live. Uh, so we're going to do this kind of chronologically. Uh, we're gonna go go way back in the way back machine to March twentieth. I mean, <laughs> can do you remember when Donald Trump was talking about killing drug dealers two weeks ago? No, you can't because it's been so long in terms of Trump world. <laughs> you can't there's, even remember it. <laughs> there's literally like five five other major things that have erupted around yeah. Trump land. You remember uh, that time way back when? <laughs> oh yeah, like. The the show is so dated now. Like it used, to, if you go back and you listen to twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, those shows. I mean, while there's some dated stuff, there's still some relevant stuff in it. Yeah, you know, and and we're applying principles, right? And, yeah, but like the now it is every we have to do. I could do four shows a week. I could do five shows just a to week stay on top just to of stay it on all. top of it to talk about all the stuff I want to talk about. But that's why the shows are so long. <laughs> like there's too much to talk about. Um, so one thing we missed was this, um, was Trump saying that he wants the death penalty for all the drug dealers. Yes. All the drug dealers are getting the death penalty. You deal drugs, you die. You deal drugs, you die. So, uh, in a speech on March 19th, he called for the execution of some drug traffickers, but to actually start doing that, he'd either need Congress to change the law or would have to reinterpret it on his own. Now this is from the Washington Post. Uh, in an analysis, uh, Trump talked tough on drugs, but applying the death penalty to tra traffickers is even tougher. So he was in New Hampshire, where the drug problem is a huge issue, and also New Hampshire is the second state in the primary system. Uh, so it was it, it, during the elections, New Hampshire was ground zero. All the candidates went there to talk about opioids because it, it has such a big problem. Uh, so. Uh, the the uh, plan by Donald Trump is basically to get tough on crime and to treat drugs and opioids like it's a crime. Well, Galt, we've done that for 40 years. How's that worked out? Well. <laughs> we are in the middle of the worst drug crisis in the history of the nation. There are more people dying of heroin overdoses than there are of traffic accidents at this point. And it's been compounding and compounding and compounding right. for years and years and years now. Yeah, and one of the problems is, you know, Noprexone and some of these, mm -hmm. Suboxone and some of these other drugs that will, uh, Norcan, where if somebody ODs, you hit them with it and they come back to life, kind of like in the mm -hmm. Pulp Fiction, you know, it's not as dramatic as stabbing them with Uma Thurman in the heart, <laughs> but uh, that's actually kind of exacerbated the problem because... 
a lot of users will go, I can risk it because we've got some naproxone here. Yeah. We've got some Nor- Norcan. I might not die. My town has, you know, I've been saved five times by EMTs with Norcan. What's What do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. And so people are actually becoming uh, riskier in their usage habits, which so is do you, what, do you think we stop helping them? No. Not, no. I mean, that's... They have to help them, right? Absolutely. I think... Um, I think human empathy first mm-hmm. and foremost seeing another human being dying and you don't you do nothing no that's that's not how it works uh although there are some indiana lawmakers who are trying to to keep indiana schools from purchasing norcan <laughs> like why would you why would you want to well we just don't want that kind of drug use in our school hey dude it's already there <laughs> yeah so <laughs> this is the christian conservatives in in rural uh indiana are insane and mike pence is their champion i want you to know that <laughs> let's regulate the only way to save these people right <laughs> and i think if you're an emt there's no way you're not gonna right. go stab somebody with the with the pen you're gonna do it right so you, you see now when i go, go to take a drink i need you to keep talking for me so i don't know <laughs> i don't know about I, I i think if you want to give the death penalty some drugs to some drug dealers give it to the big ones right the get, put eli Lilly and pfizer up there <laughs> I see what you did there. And you know, I like it's it. the pharmaceutical drugs that are ruining everything. I like it. Uh, so I'm. I'm. Are you for the death penalty? No. Okay. Why not? Um, because it, you believe in the. If you're a libertarian, it's no 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 force. Right. So I mean, that's the ultimate force is ending a life. So yeah. the government shouldn't have the power to end a life. Uh, I have always. I was always wishy washy on the question, and then when I became a libertarian twelve years ago, I was like. Oh, you, you're, the scales fall off your eyes, and you just see government in a completely different way when you become a libertarian. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I just think it's hard to be a libertarian and pro death penalty because y- your life as a libertarian is just compiling all the ways that the government fucks up. Yeah, <laughs> and how many people that are in there that are wrongly accused of what they did? Yeah, you look at Dallas, Texas. Now that know. they're they're going back through all of the cases uh, mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas, and all these, I think it's like 80, 90 people have been. Um, they found eighty to ninety people were wrongly convicted after they ran the DNA test. Some of Man. those people were put to death. Yeah. So I just don't, um, I, d- I don't trust the criminal justice system enough. Right. I wa- I lived through the OJ trial. Like I was old enough to watch it. Wow. Uh, and justice wasn't served, especially if you saw the OJ confession on Fox a couple weeks ago. That dude did it. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yeah. I that's that's the reason I can't support the death penalty. Right. Because I get the the arguments for it as, you know, paying for someone that's done something heinous. Right. You know, you're you're paying more taxpayer dollars cuz you're supporting their life when they don't deserve to die. Or, right. Or eye for an eye argument. You know, if you killed somebody, you should die too. The the other part is it costs more because of the appeals. Yeah. So there's no economic benefit to putting someone to death after 12 years. Right, as opposed to leaving them in jail for life. Right, so, so that's the main reasons I can't be for it. Yeah, um, just based off principle. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe in a fully private society, I could see a, a place for it. Okay, so so this is this is where this listen, this is where my own people let me down. It's like, uh, you know, I think a government putting people to death is totally wrong. But if I pay AAA a fee. 
uh, and I signed the agreement, then they have the right to put my mom to death. I mean, that's just how it is. You have, what about personal responsibility? I mean, I signed the form, so they get to kill me. Well, that's what that's what you do now. You sign the social contract that lets the government kill you when you do that. Yeah, and we're all bitching about it. Yeah. But yet, if it's AAA, we're it fine would be, with it. It would be, it's voluntary. You don't have a choice. You're signed into the social contract when you're born. You're given a number, and that's what you are. No, but if you're against the death penalty. If AAA, they're like, hey, would you like to do this for $100 a month? I'm like, no, nah. don't, I'm good. I'll kill myself. But the, pr- <laughs> but the principle is the same. It's a group of people deciding whether or not you sure. live or die. That's not the problem. The problem is the is the is the there's no option. There's no choice. Okay, there's well, no freedom of choice. Well, there. what if what if you join this voluntary group and they have they listen, we don't believe in DNA testing. Okay. I I mean and and you're put to death. What if you're wrongly accused? Well, I join the group. Well, what if you're a great outstanding member of society and you're wrongly accused? What do you mean? And I get a lawyer. <laughs> How could a private organization ever make a mistake in in, in Kapistan? There would be no mistakes in Kapistan. No group of people, no matter how small or large in the private organization, would ever make a mistake. Fucking moron. No. I'm gonna, Galt, I love you, but that's... What? You believe that a private institution... Yes, I believe that if without government and I live in a community called Mars Hill and we all to live in Mars Hill, we all sign an agreement that says when you murder someone, the community kills you and in, in, in response to your murder. Yes. But how what do, is wrong with that? But how do you know that they actually murdered someone? You're we're talking in a really hypothetical world. I you're, don't know how the system's set up. You're O Charlie's. You, do we still have some government or no government? You're O Charlie's. <laughs> Police department powered if by If we have Uber. some government, we have courts. Okay. So then you, you would go through your regular trials and you would still have your rights from the Constitution. All right. Well. There's I, no government. <laughs> I, I don't I don't totally disagree, but I also, like, to me, the the idea is that if, if, if 300, if 6 million people in Indiana say, if we don't believe that the 6 million people that live in Indiana shouldn't be able to put you to death... Then the million people in Indianapolis, just because it's a voluntary place to live, it doesn't make it doesn't make the ethical problem of a group <clears throat> of people putting you to death. It doesn't. No, it doesn't erase that. It, does. it doesn't. It just doesn't erase. It does. that You have a problem. choice. You okay. don't have a choice now. You would have a choice then. Okay. So there's your difference. I mean, I would not live in your in your pro murder. Good. I bet, I bet. You would move to a city nearby that didn't have those same rules. All right. That's the beauty of Ancapistan. Yes. <laughs> God, you look so You said that word, not me. You <laughs> I still I didn't get enough appreciation for the O Charlie's police department powered by Uber. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh well, I I had to go down to the Simon and Schuster courthouse and uh Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right, so so if you are against the uh, the force of government putting you to death, even if you're for the putting to death in your Ancapistan paradise. I wouldn't probably still live in that, that city. That that's right. That. Well, that's but what I'm saying. I'm just saying the choice should be there. If there were a million people that wanted the death penalty, they should be able to live together and have a death penalty. <laughs> uh, uh, if you want to call in and settle this argument, 317-699-7236. We're... 
Who's right, Galt or myself? Uh, I think this is why I love Galt. He comes up with some crazy stuff, and we get to argue about it. Uh, So Trump delivered a speech where he was talking about drugs, and he was basically saying, hey, we have to get tough on these people. We can have all the Blue Ribbon committees we want, but if we don't get tough on drug dealers, we're wasting our time, and that toughness includes the death penalty. Uh, The Washington Post, in an analysis, writes... Drug crimes are included in a, in the sweeping law expanding capital punishment dubbed the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act that pa- Congress passed and President Bill Clinton signed in 94 the crime bill. Uh, but the law that says that traffic but the law says that for traffickers to be executed they must have also been involved in a murder. Uh, I'd say like listen, I'm okay if people kill people but like chomos like Subway Jared, I'm all for putting them to death. What really? about you? Yeah, like if you have to have the death penalty. Oh, if I have to have gun, the death penalty. Gun to government your head, death penalty. There has to, what crime? Yeah, child molestation. Yeah, like to me that's that's or the, trafficking, child yeah. trafficking. The, like those things have such far-reaching generational mm-hmm. problems that uh, yeah. Subway, yeah. Subway Jared, you're you're I I'd, I'd probably even put rape in there. Like Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Or not Bill Clinton. Well, Bill Clinton, yeah. <laughs> I meant Bill Cosby, but it works. Yeah, Bills. <laughs> Never trust a Bill. Never trust a Bill. <laughs> uh, let's be clear. No one in the U.S. Ha- seems to have been executed under the statue. Uh, Clinton, Bush, and Obama never pursued this particular statue. So if the Trump administration decides to head in this direction, uh, it so would be a big So it's an already deal. written rule. It is. It's already written that drug traffickers can be executed. Okay. If they commit murder, if they commit murder, in the in the and basically execution. none of the previous administrations had ever enforced that rule, right? So Jeff Sessions says we will continue to aggressively prosecute drug traffickers and we will use federal law to okay. seek the death penalty wherever appropriate. But it would be even bigger if the Justice Department they said huge deal if the just but I hate when like the Washington Post puts huge in ugh, huge sh- stop it. <laughs> it's more annoying than adulting. <laughs> I'm adulting today. I don't want to. Oh, stop saying adulting. I hate, like, I hate the bastardization of English, the English language. Like, I can barely speak it, but at least I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, if they started seeking the death penalties for such widespread crimes as drug trafficking, and for that, the administration would either need lawmakers to revise the 94 law governing capital punishment or redefine it much more expansively. For example, the DOJ could try to reinterpret the statute to include distributing drugs with the intent to kill the user or argue that a major drug dealer is liable for any deaths that occur when someone uses a drug that's sold by them. Uh, Columbia Law Professor Jeffrey Fagan uh, says, of course, that could be a legally dangerous move, challenging longstanding precedent on when it's appropriate to seek the death penalty. So like so much with... um, I think it's good you cleared all that up. Yeah, because like so much of what Trump says is rhetoric to get headlines, mm-hmm. but when you look at the actual law, that's that's it's where murdering th- drug dealers. It's right. it's drug dealers that kill people. It, they have to have killed someone and be convicted of murder. Which, <laughs> if you're at the height of the drug trade, like El Chapo, you're yeah. definitely going to have murders pinned on you. And but and you probably deserve the death penalty. I but guess. how many uh, El Chapos are there out there where they can't pin the actual crime on the individual? Like you, you couldn't mm-hmm. like Pablo Escobar was so reckless that he didn't get he didn't care. But right. like Al Capone went to jail for tax evasion, not murder. Mm-hmm. You knew he murdered people, mm-hmm. but it was never tied back to him. 
Uh, Michael Bocelli, uh, former drug czar under Obama, said recent history shows the approach stressed by Trump doesn't work. Um, a significant emphasis of the president's speech and president's plan was on supply reduction and law enforcement, including enhanced criminal penalties and even the death penalty. I think we have known throughout the recent history of the U.S. that hasn't solved any of our drug problems here in the U.S. How do we think that immediately expanding access to treatment might work? And he's totally right. Like, if you, if you, uh, and I will put it in the show notes at WeAreLibertarians.com, Nicholas Kristof in the New York Times wrote an article called How to Win the War on Drugs. And they had an opioid epidemic uh, that was as bad as ours, maybe not as bad, but uh, they legalized all drugs and went to more of a care first uh, mm-hmm. solution. And it immediately, uh, dropped heroin deaths and overdoses dramatically. Yeah, and Portugal and Chile; these are th- these are countries that have done the same thing. And it was in Portugal that this took place. I'm sorry. Uh, and they solved their drug problem by legalization, as opposed to more stiffer penalties. Like mm-hmm. a drug dealer knows he's going to go to jail or get killed. He lives with the prospect of death every day. Like, they don't care about the death penalty. Like, the idea of the death penalty does not scare someone like an Osama bin Laden no. or uh, an El Chapo right. or a Pablo Escobar. They they have lived with death and the prospect of being killed every moment of the, their mostly their entire lives. So do you think Avon Barksdale really gave a shit about the federal government killing him? He didn't care. No. So- Punishment only goes so far. You know, um, like you have a kid... And uh, all you do is tell every time that kid does something wrong, you tell him over and over that he's wrong and you punish him and you ground him or you spank him or whatever you do. He's just going to go to class or school and take it out on the other kids. Mm -hmm. He's just going to exert that back out instead of saying, here's what you did wrong. Here's what we can do better. Here, let me help you get through this tough part in your life or this struggle or this yeah. problem you're having. And that's the difference of approach, I think, with the war on drugs is for 40 years now, all we've done is punish and tell them they're bad people and put them over and over again in the same places. Mm-hmm. And all it has done is made more and more of them. Right. Instead, let's go at it the opposite way. Let's go at it to help people, to help people get over those problems, those addictions, because a lot of people that are addicted to drugs don't want to be addicted. Right. They they really do want help. It's really hard to get get that kind of help because you can't talk about it. Right. If you did meth, Chris Spangle, if you did meth and you needed help getting off meth, if. who could you tell? Who could you tell that you did meth? Audience, I have something. You I couldn't need to tell say. your audience. You <laughs> couldn't ask your audience for help. Right. You'd be in. You'd be. You know. Tomorrow, Chris Spangle does meth. He needs help. He's addicted. <laughs> right. Like it'd be terrible. A liber- libertarian podcaster, a drug addict. Yeah, I don't think that's breaking news. It would be really news. bad. I don't think that's breaking news. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be good. Right. The, the point is that there's, no, there's not. It. it's hard to get help for those things, and that's right. what we need to expand. We need to expand the places and the ways people can get help, not not expanding the punishments. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, But there's still a resistance to that, even though it is the humane thank you, Stone. Stone says I can call him if I need help <laughs> getting off of meth. <laughs> Uh, see, that's why I like Stone. He's helpful. Uh, Write that down in your notebook. I'm going to call the 20-year-old Stone, who is very well equipped to deal with my problem, I'm sure. Uh, Hold on, let me ask my dad. (laughs) Um, 
Um, th- I have this friend. He's 34 and he's addicted to meth. Can you help me, Dad? Uh, <laughs> give me your phone. You're grounded. But I'm 20. I don't you care. You shouldn't be talking to those people, son. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a super fan anymore. Uh, Curtis Hill, Indiana AG. Rick says, I absolutely believe in getting addicts into treatment programs, and I believe the best way to get them into the programs is to put them in prison. Hmm. Curtis Hill is uh, trying to run for governor of Indiana. That's why he's tough on crime, trying to get all those boomers. But I, 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 I talked to a guy, uh, a neighbor of mine. You know, he found out that I do this, and he's like, you know, I don't want my money going to pay for treatment. Like those people got themselves hooked on drugs. They like, I, I'll pay to put them in prison, but I'm not going to pay to give them treatment. Right. And I just said, but you're paying to not solve the problem. You're spending way more money. Mm-hmm. Putting them into prison repeatedly, as a, <laughs> uh, I wish I could say what Stone just said, but I don't. I don't want to get him in trouble. Um, but I, I said you're spending so much more money if you send them to th- to treatment three times instead of prison eight times for most of their life. Mm-hmm. You're saving so much more money. Yep. I don't. I don't want to do it. I don't believe that was in it. One of okay. The- All yeah. right. That was one of the best issues I saw Rupert Champion when he was running for governor. Mm-hmm. Is he nobody was talking about it at all? Mm-hmm. But that's what he did. Yeah, that's what he did was he took kids and people out of those systems and and fixed them. Yeah, we've done. A <laughs> and co- there were so many success stories. I read his book. He's he. That's a real issue. Yeah. Is, so is helping people like that. And, and Rupert uh, has done a couple episodes. If you go back in the feed and listen to those, we talk about criminal justice rehabilitation and what it's like for people getting out of the system and Rupert from Survivor ran for governor in 2012 and you know I never really thought about it but he's like you you put one of the biggest problems is the ankle bracelet the monitoring bracelet because you slap them with a $150 a week charge for that bracelet and a kid who is a lower income poverty stricken situation they're going to have to ask their family for the money, and they probably don't have it. And so to make that money or go back to prison, they just start doing exactly what they used to do, which was breaking and entering or selling drugs. So then they get sent back to prison. They start to give up and just go, listen, this is this is my life now. I better become a better criminal. Thank God I'm imprisoned and surrounded by better criminals who can teach me the art of being a better criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And that's how you end up with just this revolving door of people going to prison, and you yeah. end up with the largest, we're 25, what is it? It's not 25% of our population's locked up, but it's like, what? what is it? We're like 25, there's some It's the most 20, in the world. It's the most in the developed world. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but it's like 25% yeah. of the developed world we warehouse. Like, it's crazy how much money we spend on it. I so. can't believe Curtis Hill thinks that. Yeah. Sending them to prison is the way to help them, because it's not. No. It's the way to keep ma- ensure that they keep doing the same thing, Curtis, making the same mistakes. Politicians like Curtis Hill, who's probably 40, 45, who wants to have a career in Republican politics. Uh, not that this... So, like, Curtis is trying to run for governor. And so he's trying to get in with all the baby boomer Republicans, mm-hmm. because that's most of the base. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all of these... Uh, oh, my... Uh <laughs> So, I just got completely thrown off. Um, <laughs> I, I have to turn off the chat. Sometimes the chat gets distracting, huh? Of course it does, <laughs> yes. All right, let's move on. Yeah, what's next? 
What do you Amazon? Wanna... Well, let's see here. Uh, no, let's tariffs. do tariffs. Right. Yeah, because we just got a notification. Uh, $100 billion in tariffs on Chinese goods. The New York Times says uh, Trump is going to double down and add $100 billion more in tariffs. Mm, fun. Nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> T- tariffs. Uh, it's a synonym and another word for taxes. Right. Exactly. When a right. company is taxed, who pays for those taxes? So the Trump administration <laughs> placed a 25% tariff on Chinese products. So 25% tax on Chinese products. Like flat screen televisions, medical devices, aircraft parts, and batteries outlining more than 1,300 imported goods that will soon face levies as part of a sweeping trade measure aimed at penalizing China for its trade practices. Hmm. On Monday, China said it would slap tariffs on 128 American products in response to a separate White House plan to tax steel and aluminum from China and other countries. The products targeted by the White House are part of its plan to go after China's dominance in cutting-edge technologies like semiconductors, electric vehicles, and advanced medical products, industries that China is pursuing dominance in as part of its Made in China 2025. Uh, The tariffs will be imposed on a total of $50 billion worth of Chinese products each year. So that's $50 billion worth of new taxes. Yeah. The Trump administration is placing on both Chinese makers and American uh, taxpayers. So the Chinese are not happy. Uh, the The Chinese responded by putting uh, tariffs, uh, 25% on imports of 128 American-made products, including pork and seamless steel pipes. The Ministry of Commerce said that it could impose tariffs in two stages. First, a 15% duty on 120 products, including fruit and wine. And then after assessing the impact of the United States tariffs, a 25% tariff on eight other projects. They said, screw it, we're doing it all, including the 25% charge on pork, which disproportionately hurts American farmers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it is... The, there, there are only two, two things getting hurt in both of these scenarios. The American consumer and the Chinese consumer. That's exactly right. Those are the two people getting hurt. Right. Uh, Eric Boehm at Reason writes, trade barriers that Trump issued to prop up steel and aluminum industries, which he also included, uh, th- this was a separate tariff uh, that happened a few weeks ago where he, he placed uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum, but exempted Canada and Mexico because that's where we get most of our steel from. <laughs> so he wanted to look tough while not actually doing much. <laughs> Uh, to prop up steel and aluminum industries will end up increasing costs for thousands of downstream businesses. That's not going to hit you. Like when you go and buy stuff at Walmart and it says made in China, it's a piece of plastic. That's not where it's going to hit you. Uh, By one count, there are 46 American jobs in steel-consuming industries for every one steel-producing job in the country. Uh, Other tariffs aimed at a Chinese goods... uh, Other tariffs aimed at Chinese goods will likely have less of a direct effect on the economy as a whole analysts say, but will leave Americans with, with fewer options and higher prices. Um, yep. You know, this the United States exported $1.1 billion in pork to China. Hmm. Uh, That's a lot. And we export to them apples, oranges, watermelons, strawberry, raspberries, cranberries, cherries, grapes, and pineapples. And we're going to tax that at 25%. <laughs> wow. Uh, so then everyone in China gets to pay more for all their fruit. Right. And he notes that this is a double blow to American farmers who are already facing higher prices <clears throat> for farm machinery and equipment thanks to Trump's 
steel tariffs yeah. on aluminum because only half of what we import is used by people like us, people like consumers. Right. The other half is used by companies and corporations that produce new equipment for people here right. <laughs> or people there. It, they're made by manufacturers in America, and right. they use that steel. So now all their products are now more expensive. Right. Because people still that, the farmers still need the same amount of tractors no matter how yep. much it costs. Do you have any idea how expensive a tractor is? No, but it's, it's expensive. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, the amount of money that farmers make uh is is not not a not a lot i mean some can do pretty well uh but i have a family member who farms on 40 year old equipment and they just keep fixing it up because the expense for a new combine or a new mm-hmm. tractor is outrageous like you can't afford it so this is just going to make that even more out of reach for american farmers who are already you know under pressure yeah because so. the tax doesn't change the demand the demand stays the same. Right. The same amount of people want the same amount of products. The The reality of this is this and the immigration stuff is all boiled down to Trump's idea that somehow we live in, like he lives in this 1950s American fantasy. Like he, in his mind, we live in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in Pleasantville. Like if, in, so he's going to protect American jobs and all the jobs that like, he he sees in all these movies that he loves to watch. And that just isn't how the world works anymore. Mm-mm. Like, s- the steel industry in America didn't disappear because of immigrants or Chinese t- steel coming on. or it- It's because of technology. Right. Like, we've invested in better jobs, and people have moved, as they've moved out of the workforce, into new jobs that are more efficient and work better with how mm-hmm. our society functions. Better environments to work in. Right. Yeah. <laughs> innovations the re like free trade is one of the greatest enablers of that innovation yeah because then they're like well yeah we can have somebody else make it and we can have better jobs right now. like and what's so wrong with that yeah the idea of the trade deficit is is yeah. it's kind of confusing uh but there's uh our mercatus article usually the protectionism is all about protecting a market that wouldn't survive on its own right without that protection it wouldn't be there right which means that there's no place for it in the market. Which isn't even real. Like, they don't need American protection. Like, the American steel industry is doing fine. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, he he just has this view of the world that is so 1980s. And it's because he lived in the world until 1980s. And that's probably why he connects with so many boomers. Well, yeah, because, because they have the same worldview. Because he does, he ascended his treehouse when Trump Tower got built in the early 80s. And he never, he surrounded himself with people who were yes men. Yeah. And so if you are suspended in time because of your wealth and you live in 1983 perpetually, then of course, like, gung-ho is a documentary. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever seen the Michael Keaton movie where the Japanese come in and they take over this uh, automobile plant? Mm-mm. Like, that's a documentary for him. It's the same with his foreign policy. Trump Trump views foreign policy through John through uh, John Wayne films, <laughs> you know, like the Green Berets and yeah. Torah 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 are documentaries. That's how he thinks. That's why people think he's racist sometimes because he has such a simplistic view of their cultures and stuff. Exactly because <laughs> he lives in white man nineteen eighties. He grew up. He spent all of his formative years around mob lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, and and people who are very wealthy at, in that era in that uh, in New York at the time. So. He is. He's just sort of a suspended in time individual and just doesn't know what he's doing. And like the idea of 
the trade deficit. This is this is titled "Efforts <sighs> to Reduce the Trade Deficit Will Have Unintended Negative Consequences." Uh, this is it doesn't say who this is by, but I'll have it in the show notes. Um, U.S. trade deficit is driven by the investment savings gap. According to the National Income Accounting Identity, the difference between what the U.S. exports and imports in a given year must equal the difference... uh, All right, let me slow down. Let me read this slower, okay? Because I had to read it like four times (laughs) to get it. All right. According to the National Income Accounting Identity, the difference between what the United States exports and imports in a given year must equal the difference between national savings and national investment. Therefore, the United States runs a deficit on the current account year after year for one reason. Gross domestic investment in the economy exceeds gross domestic savings. If Mm. a nation's residents save more than the total amount that is invested in the domestic economy, net exports will be positive. That is, the nation's residents will export more than if they import. If the domestic investment exceeds domestic savings, net exports will be negative. That is, the nation's residents will import more than they export. Okay, so the so it's all based off savings. It's based off savings and investment, and the fact that Americans don't save a we lot. We don't do that, and we invest a lot in mm-hmm. to do businesses means we have a trade deficit, and we can run a trade deficit because we have a lot of investment, but it doesn't mean that we're necessarily getting ripped off by China. Uh, The U.S. current account has run an annual deficit for the past four decades for the basic reason that investment opportunities and the amount of investment in these opportunities has been consistently higher each year than the gross amount saved by Americans. The gap is filled by an annual net inflow of foreign capital, which mirrors and offsets the trade deficit. From 2010 to 2015, gross investment in the U.S. as a percentage of GDP averaged 19.4% of U.S. gross domestic product, while gross savings averaged 17.5%. So we have a thriving economy. We have the world's biggest economy, and people want to be a part of it. So that's why we have a trade deficit. Uh, It's not a negative thing. Yeah. Deficit sounds negative. Exactly. And so trying to solve it does produce negative consequences. And it's very similar to what Donald Trump is doing is very similar to what George Bush did with Iraq leading up to the uh, to the Iraqi war. Only China's not Saddam Hussein. Dum dum. Mm-hmm. Um, he this guy writes, Americans could try to badger another country into buying more U.S. exports or it could block that country's imports with tariffs. Either action might shrink the bilateral deficit. But without a change in the underlying macroeconomic factors that determine the overall balance, such actions would simply reallocate the balance amongst Americans, others, um, amongst other trading partners. So what he's saying, in short, the Chinese will just sell their goods to other people. We will sell our goods to other people. And the two largest economies on the planet would not coordinate with each other. doesn't seem to be a win-win for all of us. It doesn't us. help the people. It doesn't help any of us. <laughs> like Just because... I have a, you know, I, it, it is, it's, it's unnecessarily provocative mm-hmm. because he has this notion that just isn't true. The amount of technology that ha- Americans have developed over the last 40 years has allowed us to become a much more prosperous country and thus a lot more investment has taken place here. And conversely, 
we have seen uh, a, an, a, an amazing amount of growth in our economy and workforce. But yes, there are some people in rural parts of my state, for instance, who are who are hurting financially. That white working class that everybody talks about that supposedly got them elected, uh, the the Roseans of the world. Yes, they were disproportionately affected in a transitional period. But it is, and I know this isn't any comfort to them, but it's like the buggy maker in 1910. Like, you're, you're going to have to figure something else out. The, the economy, the free market changes all the time. Mm-hmm. That's no comfort to people. So demagogues and politicians want to cr- try and create some comfort for those people and say, I've got your back, I will protect you. But it doesn't matter how many tariffs he puts on things, He's never going to fix never. those jobs. He's never going to bring back the <clears throat> automobile industry. You can bring, like, Mitch Daniels, through free trade, brought Honda to Greensburg, Indiana. And it and it revitalized southeastern Indiana. You know, and he did it through, uh, he did it through things like tax abatements. And, you know, libertarians quibble over that. But, you know, this was an area of the state that had nothing going on. You know, my the farmer that I mentioned earlier in my family... He as his farming business went down, he was able to go work for the new Toyota plant nice. in Princeton. You know, now he works for the coal plant. And so there's these new industries. And mm-hmm. so on paper, his farming job was destroyed, quote unquote. Right. But he adapted as his industry started to change, he adapted by going to work at new opportunities. Yep. So you you have to sit and really look at this stuff and go, Okay, is everybody like we, we have these caricatures in our head that you know, a Flint, Michigan, and the auto industry fails, and, you know, Randy's just now, now he's on welfare smoking cigarettes. All of those people are probably in existence, like there are, you know, but it isn't the majority of people. No. You know, so you can't buy into these caricatures of people as fact. Right. So. There's way more to it than that. Right. It's not, yeah, economics isn't so simple. Right. <laughs> it's uh, It's an organic living thing. It's uh. You know, the Constitution isn't, but the economy is. <laughs> right. Um, so let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about Amazon next because okay. it kind of fits in here. It all it all fits in. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump came out and has issued a bunch of tweets and he's mentioned Amazon like five times and he's destroyed like five hundred million dollars yeah. of their stock market cap because he's attacking them. Yeah. Why does he have a hard on for Amazon? Oh, well, who owns Amazon? Jeff Bezos. Oh, what what else does Jeff Bezos own besides Amazon? The I wa- wonder. The Washington Post. Oh, you already know. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. What what newspaper the, released the grabber by the pussy tape? Yeah. The Washington Post isn't right. best friends with Donald Trump. It, and- in the <laughs> in the uh, Doug Jones Roy Moore Alabama race. Steve Bannon, every time he's the Jeff Bezos, Amazon.com, Washington Post, mm-hmm. you know, trying to like mm-hmm. de- uh, make them demons yeah. uh, and defame them because he's trying to tie them to nef- the nefarious left. Well, Steve Bannon was in the White House doing that, I'm sure. Uh, and, you know, he got a bum rap, he feels, from the fake news Washington Post. And he th- stupidly thinks that Jeff Bezos has anything to do with the editorial content of the Washington Post when he specifically says I don't want to. Yeah. I'm I'm I know they lose money. I'm doing it as a public service. Uh 
I, he's a powerful figure. If I were Jeff Bezos and I had that I were the richest man in the world, I would do exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I would buy a media outlet because I think it's cool and mm-hmm. I love the product, and then I'd leave it alone. So, uh, so he's he do, he doesn't like the Washington Post for political reasons, right. and he thinks incorrectly that Jeff Bezos has anything to do with it. He's busy running one of the greatest... So he sees that now with his newfound power of being elected president, he can use that to get back at it. Yeah, and I don't know where the article went, but like this isn't just the only company that he does this. He does this all the time to companies. You know, I there every every month or so there's another company that he's beating up on. Hmm. So and and for a while now, for the last few presidents, we've we've left majority of them have left Silicon Valley alone. They've let them, you know, do their own thing. Actually, probably one of the least regulated industries in Easily. America. Yeah. Um, That's why you've seen such great growth right. in <laughs> both social, marketing, internet, internet of things, mm-hmm. cellular technology. You've seen yep. great, the places that you've seen in those sectors that you've seen the least growth are things like bandwidth and LTE, mm-hmm. things that are regulated by the government. Yep. Which was... Ajit Pai's entire point yeah. with net neutrality is the government shouldn't be involved in this. Congress needs to write a law, not me. And then here we are, the president of the United States saying, "Well, they don't pay enough taxes. They don't. Need, yeah, right. They don't pay state and local taxes, but really they do. They do. In forty-five states, they pay taxes. We have, <laughs> you know, Mitch Daniels was it? I, mean, Mitch? I pay taxes here for it. I think it was Mitch it, that we that added uh, Amazon had to start paying sales taxes because mm-hmm. retailers in Indiana said they have an unfair advantage not being taxed, and so they pay taxes. It is an advantage. It I is. wouldn't call it unfair. I'd say they have an unfair disadvantage that they are being taxed. Right. I would say it's the exact opposite. But I agree with that. It is an advantage, and that's that's why you've seen <laughs> Amazon grow to owning Whole Foods and knocking Walmart off the top and. Everything. It's because the other those companies with the government on their backs like that, they can't they can't compete with. I'm looking at a free market. <laughs> there isn't a piece of podcast equipment in this studio that wasn't bought on Amazon. See, including the tablecloth, the wall foam, right? The LED lights, the board, the recorder, the mics, all of it. Mm-hmm. Amazon. It's because it's cheaper prices. It's it's easier to use. And uh, it's a company that I like and I want to support. So uh, if you want to call in, now's the chance to talk about Amazon. It's (sighs) 317-699-7236. So that not only did he say they they don't pay enough taxes, he said that the post office is is their little errand boy, their little delivery boy, and they're losing money every every order from Amazon. He said, yeah, he said... (laughs) Unironically, that the post office is that the post office Amazon treats the post office like their little delivery boy. Like that's what they do. That's <laughs> literally, what they do, dum dum. That's their job. Uh, and what kind of business does not want a giant com- corporation like that only coming to you? Why would you? What what kind of business is like? No, nah, we don't want that customer. Right. <laughs> so we don't want those millions of dollars. So this is from Vox. Uh, Vox is a left-leaning site, but always, I think, has... They have a lot of great context to the news, and that's why they're one of my first uh, sites that I check every day. Trump thinks Amazon's destroying the post office. Here's what's really happening. Uh, he's He's been obsessed with this for a long time. The other aspect to this is that... And it was said in Axios that really kind of got this scoop. Um, 
the problem is that Donald Trump is talking to all of his friends who run brick and mortar stores, mm-hmm. including himself, you know, retailers mm-hmm. who buy space in Trump hotels and Trump shopping malls like in Chicago or whatever, and they're losing markets. Because retail market's on the out. Right. We don't need as many retail stores as we used to. Right. You don't need a store for fishing poles and car parts right. and clothes and food. Now you just need a grocery store and Amazon. Right. Exactly <laughs> right. Like so yeah, it like that's part of the innovation that I don't think Trump can understand how the market works like that. How it's always changing and evolving. But he's he sees a, it as it's punishing someone, and we have to protect them. He's a, he's just a great businessman, though. How could he not understand the is free he, market? Is he is he a great no. businessman? See, I like where you're going. <laughs> I like that you're getting to where I'm at, where I have been. Uh, so, uh, basically, he Axios says that Trump is obsessed with the company, uh, and he has accused yeah. Amazon of making the post office dumber and poorer. Uh, so, yeah. Sh- should they, the question of whether or not the Postal Service is getting ripped off by Amazon is hard to calculate because the deal between Amazon and the Post Office is technically secret. Okay. But they get a bulk shipping rate like any other person would. And it was agreed upon by Amazon and the government. Right. The Postal Service does lose billions of dollars a year and has for the past decade. That's not news. And it's likely that Amazon gets a good deal given it ships millions of boxes a year. So it's also hard to know how sweet the deal might become if those agrees, uh, agreements are made public. Uh, they've even expanded into Sunday delivery. Like yeah. the post office delivers- Yeah, just for Sunday. Amazon. Just for Amazon. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They had to shut it down for the public. The Postal <laughs> Service's financial woes are now well documented. In 2017, uh, the Postal Service took a net loss of $2.7 billion. Wait, let me- Yeah, in November 2017, just that month- they took a net loss of $2.7 billion. With a B? With a B. In one that, month? That can't be right. That, that, there's no way. Uh, magnified over the years, that figure represents a cumulative net loss of more than $63 billion since 2007. That is many billions of dollars. <sighs> but break down the losses, and the situation is a bit more nuanced. <sighs> Delivering packages, it turns out, is a growth business. And it actually makes the Postal Service money. Who knew? The revenue from the packages increased $2.1 billion and was up 11.8% for the fiscal <laughs> year of 2017. And they still lost all that money in, in November? The problem is the revenue from first-class mail, still the biggest source of the, U- the USPS's revenue, is declining. The thing that really eats up the Postal Service's revenue, financial obligations to employees' health and retirement benefit programs. A 2006 law mandates that USPS pre-fund 75 years of retiree health benefits. Wow. So I did not know that. Yeah. In 2006, <laughs> they had to- 75 years of pre-funding? Pre-fund. Who 75 years of retiree health benefits. That makes no sense. I'll tell you who does that. It is a civil service union of government employees mm. that- are negotiating with essentially themselves for benefits and and sweetheart deals. And so the Postal Workers Union said, we know the Postal Service business model may be in trouble, so we need to get ours before you get yours. And we wow. don't care what it costs. That's how they got that deal. Uh, so I thought that was funny that 
Trump is actually <laughs> making fun of the thing that makes them money and is the only part of the business that's making money. Right. Is the part that he's complaining about. Exactly right. Because <laughs> he's an idiot. The, that doesn't make any sense. He he had, there's, there's just no way he's looked at those numbers, right? He's just speaking out of uh, allegory. Apparently, or, the he's, he is told these things, but he doesn't listen to them. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had a boss like this where, you know, and I have had in the past, where you, you know... You're you're dealing with a boss where like you tell them something and like they just don't hear you because they think they're right. Gotcha. Like yes, and I am not. The, <laughs> I know the reputation of my current employer on the radio is one thing, <laughs> but it's not that way in real life. Like, I just want to clarify. But like the the reality is he's so stuck in his own stupid little petty world inside his mind. He doesn't hear when people tell him things. So you constant like what you read in the Washington Post and Axios and Politico about what's going on. The New York Times with Maggie Haberman reporting, like he's like the typical person on Facebook. He is. He's a boomer. He's yeah. the last. Thank God, boomer president. I didn't read anything that your post says, but I know it's wrong. <laughs> exactly right. He is that guy to a T. Yeah. Uh, so wow. Peter Suderman had a great article today uh, on reason. Donald Trump's petty authoritarianism is driving his vendetta against Amazon. Uh, to serve his own insecurities, Trump is waging a bellicose war on Americans who work, buy, and invest. Over the last week, the President of the United States has tweeted no less than five attacks on Amazon and its owner, Jeff Bezos, who also owns the Washington Post. He called the Post a lobbyist for Amazon and arguing that the online retailer is exploiting the postal service and doing harm to American businesses. You have retailers all over the United States that are giving out, going out of business, Trump said Tuesday. If you look at the cost that we're subsidizing, we're giving a subsidy to Amazon, which is not true. The biggest cost to Amazon is their shipping. Um, so in his world, the American taxpayer is subsidizing the war on the businesses that his friends own. And his friends are talking to their powerful friend saying, can you help us? Mm-hmm. Uh, we the, got you elected. Now scratch our backs. The answer to the question of whether they receive a subsidy is no, not really. And even if Amazon's packages are priced in a way that is advantageous to the company, it is not exactly a subsidy for Amazon to ship packages through the mail at the price. The mail service chooses to charge. Again, voluntary, mm -hmm. like your murder capital. So that would be all right with me. Right. <laughs> uh, so a little more than a year into Trump's presidency, it is clear that he has no particular ideological outlook. He's not a hardline conservative mm -mm. or a secret New York liberal mm -mm. or even much of a true believing populist, despite the presence of a, presence of a rolling cast of advisors who might fit, more accurately fit these labels. Uh, and it is true, like, uh, hardline conservatives like Bannon and John Kelly, to some extent, uh, the secret New York liberal is uh, mm -hmm. Jared Kushner, mm -hmm. the true believing populist. I guess that's probably more Bannon and, Bannon. and hardline conservatives, Kelly, is who he's referring to. Instead, Trump in, governs through muddled instinct, unconstrained by legal precedent or policy advice, always seeking attention, conflict, and personal dominance. Trump isn't an ideologue, but a petty authoritarian whose main pursuit is brutish self-aggrandizement. Mm -hmm. And while his authoritarian impulses have not been borne out in the worst fears of his critics, they're far from harmless. 
Um, you know, so they talk about how he attacks the post, and then he lo- he cost them fifty billion dollars. Uh, yeah, He'll bounce back. Fifty billion dollars in market cap. I ain't worried about him. Uh, presidents rarely have as much control over the economy as they take credit for, but in this case, Trump appears to have directly impacted the fortune of both a specific American business that is responsible for tens of thousands of jobs, as well as the general performance of the stock market, all in serving of pursuing a pointless personal vendetta. Uh, yeah, and, and the people who are like, oh, he, like, unvox Matt, Matthew Iglesias, who, if his name is attached to anything, don't read it. He's a trash writer. He's a trash person. Uh, but he he's like oh, he's he's using the power of the presidency to destroy the value of a company. Amazon will be fine in like three days. Amazon will have gained all that market cap back. Like they, it's the, how the market works. But that's that's the problem with people on the left. These commentators don't understand economics. Mm-hmm. They don't understand the free market. They don't understand you know even the volatility of the market. They just see like. This silly little game of points being won and lost. So, yep. how can I use the statistic to further my viewpoint? Exactly that I right. Believe in one hundred percent. That's all it is. Right. Trump's simmering trade war with China, meanwhile, is another personal project that only makes a sense as a display of jungle dominance. <laughs> trade wars are good and easy to win, he said. This is a view shared essentially by no reputable expert on the subject. <laughs> that free trade is broadly beneficial and trade wars harm the economy is one of the most widely held belief amongst economists. But that doesn't matter because Trump isn't really pursuing anything that resembles a policy agenda right. in the traditional sense. Instead, as with Bezos, Amazon, and the Post, he views China as a rival. But on the national scale, and rivals must always be dealt with via the performance of aggression. Um... Uh, he will eventually lose this, uh, he points out. The stock market took a dive yesterday as China and the U.S. announced tit-for-tat tariffs. China's response appears to deliberately target Trump's own voters. The price of everything from automobiles to beer is certainly to rise. Moody's analytics yesterday projected that Trump's trade policies would cost 190,000 American jobs to serve his own insecurities. But that's what he's all about is more jobs. Right. That's exactly right. Uh, So he's given himself a lot of attention. But to the extent that anything Trump does is the pursuit of an intentional plan, this is by design. The goal of so many of Trump's actions is not to pursue a particular policy or ideological agenda or public good. It's to put himself at the center of the story to bask in the spotlight, even if the glare is largely negative. Wow. Which is a great point, but like, what is it that shallow though? Like that it's just yes. for self promotion. Yes, it's not, it has nothing to do with anything did you not he li- believes in. Did you not listen to 2016? We are libertarians because I've been saying this the entire time. You have. I mean, I mean, this is who this guy is. Like I, I know that everybody, hmm. and this is an important lesson for a lot of libertarians and you listeners and you specifically, Galt, <laughs> is that it is easy to get caught up in the middle of a presidential election with the fervor of what's going on and we we I get into it too and you get lost in like the reality of it and the reality is that this guy is a petulant child he's a petty little baby he's an authoritarian little baby but he's so ineffective and incompetent that he's never going to actually be able to start a nuclear war because nobody's going to let that happen cuz they know he's such a baby you know it's it's like the guy who isn't this crazy and stupid like if Donald Trump didn't have Twitter, he'd probably be more dangerous. 
but like the public kind of knows who he is because we see it. Mm-hmm. You know, he if if he were this if he were like Nixon, where Nixon was this crazy behind the scenes, mm-hmm, but nobody knew. But nobody knew. They were all like that. Nixon's a good man. Oh, yeah, that that good Donald Trump guy. And, yeah, he you know he never said a bad thing in his life. You know, and Donald <laughs> Donald Trump is an authoritarian for twenty eight percent of the population. It is it is people who are are dominate like so much of politics today is tribal and it's dominated by racism. It's dominated by the intersectional politics of the left. Are, are you how many points have you racked up on the diversity scale? How how much do you support our cause? And have you ever had a deviation from our cause? Because if you have, you're out. We need to silence you. Yeah. Unless you are 100% on board with the group think of the left. That's the main reason. That that per- specific point is the main reason I got out of politics. Yeah. Is because it was you had to follow a band. Right. The, all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you, there was something, you can't, you can't say that one thing you don't like with them. Yeah. It's, you have to follow it. Because people like Tommy Lauren will become famous. Mm-hmm. And as Ben Shapiro said, Tommy Lauren is what happens when Republicans don't read books. Right. You know, like, and everybody can see this girl is a dum dum. Yeah, but she's cute and yells. So we so, should watch her. So we, we should watch her. her. Right. Let's Somebody her writes Fox. what she says. She doesn't right. write it. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and on the right, not everybody, not not nearly to the same degree as the left, because the left is. I generally just kind of find the stuff that comes out of the left, and, and that's a broad term. I know, uh, to be shrill. And just as authoritarian as they say Donald Trump is, uh, maybe more, because Donald Trump at least is willing to listen and be persuaded to some degree. Uh, but Donald Trump, there is no doubt that Donald Trump's worldview, his his version of American greatness is white culture, it is American military might, and the strength of the American economy. And he's going to protect those three things. And there is a large group of our country, 30% probably, that is on board with him, and 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 what I mean by white culture is the worldview that not the worldview of the left, where if you are white you are bad, <laughs> but the worldview that the world that I grew up in is the right one, and I'm unwilling to compromise mm. on living in that world. So I'm sorry, I don't care if there's a female CEO. I want. I want the best person for the job, and it's going to be a white man. You know, I think there are a lot of people on the right who are as dogged about making sure that they are protecting the white male as they are. We, it, it's as absurd as the Harvard uh, search. It sounds so absurd. It is. It's we're judging people, <laughs> people on the color are... of their skin, on the the amount of melanin in There's them. So much closed mindedness. It's, it's so dumb. Uh, Harvard refuses to interview a white male for the presidency yeah. of Harvard. Like that's yeah. just racism. Yeah. Like you're a racist. Yeah. Like don't talk to me about Donald Trump being a racist. You're if you not support even that, you're let racist. some interview someone because of their color. Uh, because of their color. Yeah. Like that's racism. Like the left as we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's death yesterday, the uh, the drifting from his legacy is so clear where he stood for fulfilling the promises of equality and justice that were promised to all at the founding of this country. Mm-hmm. And that every single person, regardless of their color, has the ability to succeed in this country. Mm-hmm. Everybody should have an equal start. That was Martin Luther King's words. Uh, was he an economic socialist? Yes. 
he wasn't very well versed in economics. Was he a philanderer? Yes. Okay. But that doesn't diminish the greatness of his message of equality and justice. You can yeah. be for those things and not agree that he should that he was cheating on his wife, for instance. Like it's just like you can say, I think Donald Trump's policies are good. I don't care if he banged a porn star. Like it, it's amazing how people can't have like that that cognitive dissonance. Like I can't support Martin Luther King because he cheated on his wife, but I'm okay with Donald Trump cheating on his wife. Because we're all in the same tribe, and it's, yes, it's bizarre. standard. It's bizarre. It's it's everywhere right now. Right. On, on so many issues. Instead of saying, like, everybody's just a complex person, they fuck up. Yeah. Like, That's one of the best memes is the two-button meme. Because right. you can, oh my gosh, you can use right. it for almost anything right now. That's why I love <laughs> memes, is because memes just, like, cut through the mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's like George Carlin lives in memes. You know, like, George Carlin would be simultaneously losing his mind and having oh, yeah. a heyday. Oh, yeah. You know, go back and watch some Carlin. He would but, be more popular than ever right now, yeah. but he would also be hating it oh. more than ever right now. This motherfucker. <laughs> um, doesn't Rush Limbaugh look like the type of guy that likes to be peed on? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I don't know where I was going. But, yeah, Donald Trump views 1980s, the, the the world of the 70s and 80s, the time when he was the most, um, uh, that's when he was formed. We all have an, uh, there, is a, there is a specific term that I cannot remember, but there is a psychological term for the period of 15 to like 30, 15 to like 25. And you, this is when you rack up all the memories that you love the most. And it is because you are coming of age and you are experiencing things for the first time. And so your brain loves novelty. And because you experienced those things for the first time, you love it the most. You, right. It gave you the biggest it gave you the biggest jolt of brain chemicals. Mm-hmm. So like falling in love for the 37th time isn't nearly as amazing as it was the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's romanticized that period of his life when he was starting out with a small loan of a million dollars from when his he dad. first felt that first success. Right. And, you know. you know, and he was starting, like, women like me, I'm mm-hmm. banging hot chicks, I'm going to the club. 80- it was the best time of his life. He doesn't want to lose it. Easily. He was youthful. Like, think about all the values that Donald Trump, all the things he values. Image. Yeah. Physical People looks. didn't make fun of him. Like he he value like he values yeah. youth and he loves Hope Hicks because she looks good on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, like it it's, stands to reason that the best version of Donald Trump in Donald Trump's mind is twenty twenty nine. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he wants America to go back to that time when he was prospering because he was starting to become more successful, and he was prospering. So that must have been, what were the factors that made me prosper? Well, we had a strong steel industry, and this happened, and that happened, and all the people that I surrounded myself, the small group of people that I surrounded myself, they lost revenue because of things like Amazon, and because of things like the the, the decline of this industry, and the changing of this. He's an old man who's afraid of change. Like, nobody just says that. Right. He's He's literally Hitler. <laughs> No, he's an old, confused man who doesn't know how to work the remote, and the remote is the United States government. <laughs> like <laughs> he he isn't a dangerous individual in that he is a he 
he is a dangerous person because he has authoritarian tendencies, but he's so old and confused that he's never going to be able to fulfill the, his destiny of becoming Putin. Yeah. But he loves Putin. He loves the fact that Z just became the president of China for life. Mm-hmm. Like, but he's never going to be that. No. Like everybody needs to take a step back and just go, it's okay. Like, it, it's like, okay, like grandpa gets to drive three more years to the MCL because he loves it. <laughs> it's like the the danger of him crashing the car is getting higher, but it still doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. It's not worth taking away MCL. It means so much to him. Yeah, like, that's where we're at with Donald Trump. Okay, like it's it's. So we just let him have his fun right. for the next two o- years. Only the or crashing of the car years. is nuclear war with China. <laughs> okay, n- other than that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I just think the uh, hyperbole around Trump and the propaganda from both sides, but especially the left, they're so unhinged. And I find myself like I was more angry at Republicans. When they were out of power, and I think it's because I just value truth, and I value like common sense, and I hate manipulation, mm-hmm. and I hate when people try to to take things like so far that, and then everybody would just like, oh, you know, uh, I mean, I remember when I first got involved in politics, and I first got into the Libertarian Party, I was sure I was going to be in a FEMA camp in five years because Barack Obama was going to round us all up. There was a part of me that actually believed that stuff. Yeah. And it was irrational and stupid. But I was being manipulated and I was letting myself be manipulated to be a part of a crowd. And I just hmm. see people doing that to both sides. And I go, you know what? I've been in this for so long that I hate seeing other it happen to other people. Yeah. And like, so the Republicans, when they were the minority, they were so ridiculous. Uh, the Democrats, the left right now, are so ridiculous. Um, so <laughs> it's bad. It, it is. It's it's a shitty time. Like you read some of these, like this article in the Atlantic, and this guy's writing on the, the the anniversary of Martin Luther King, and it's like, you you can't believe you live in this world. Like this is the, you know, uh, the seas have risen. I, I had for, I didn't see the. I, I don't. I wish I had printed it out, but it, it, it's just so negative. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the world we're living in. Yeah. Like I don't see your reality. Like why are you creating that reality? Because that's not it. So so Donald Trump, like he has this love of a world that doesn't exist anymore, and deep down is afraid of a changing world because he he isn't going to have a significant place in it, and isn't going to have any control in it in ten to fifteen years. You know, and he loves control. He loves being in control because he's yeah. a crazy person. You know, and he—that's what I said. You know, before the show started, was most of these, most of these things that we keep hopping from over and over again. It's just the things he's obsessing about. Yeah, and it's one thing at a time, and they're very short-lived because usually he wakes up or something. Yeah, some, <laughs> he, like something else the gets distracted. Two-day slur, and then he finds something else to get attached to. Yeah, but he, that's all it is. It's just over over obsession over and over again. So the might of the American military, like mm-hmm. they're they're talking now about building bases. They're they're making plans to build two military bases in Syria. And they're talking about going to Congress. The Pentagon is talking about going to Congress mm. for funding to rebuild Syria. Great. Uh to basically nation build in We've Syria. We've never done that before. Right. Uh I think I actually printed it out um just in case we brought this up. Um, 
And we'll talk about Kevin Williamson, too, if we get some time. Uh, Trump drops push for immediate withdrawal of troops from Syria. President Trump has instructed his military commanders to quickly wrap up the American military operation in Syria so that he can bring troops home within a few months, senior administration officials said on Wednesday. He dropped his insistence on an immediate withdrawal, they said, after commanders told him they needed time to complete their mission. The president's decision to keep the 2,000 troops on the ground in Syria for the immediate future came in a meeting with the National Security Council uh, after he was convinced by a group of people, uh, generals especially. Mm. Um, they had drawn up, but then they were like, oh, we can't stay, we can't. How much do, how much do you think... Uh, ha- do you think... They're going to be leaving in a few months. No. There isn't a chance. They're buying time with a... Um, they're they're playing games with him. Mm-hmm. So, so he wanted an immediate withdrawal. Yeah, the military it's not gonna complex is not going to let It's never going to happen. happen. Nope. Um, so they heard him say that, and then they had a meeting with him, and now he's not saying it anymore. Right. Yeah. So That's usually how those things go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he, he, he believes that it is the, the job of the American military... To keep America strong and secure. He believes in law and order. He believes all the things that Pat Robertson preached about in the 1984 presidential election. You know, but it, he's still, like, he is the baby, he is baby boomer incarnate. Mm-hmm. You know, I just believe in all these values, and I'm going to spout all these values all over the place, but I'm going to go fuck this porn star right after I talk about how it important is important for other people to be Christians. Like, yeah, he's, th- like, that's them. Uh, you know, we need to be a country that just really uh, is a responsible country in the world right after we spend $20 trillion in debt. <laughs> like, the, and they're, they're, the reason that people talk about a tinge of racism with Trump is because it is America first, but like he just doesn't treat he doesn't treat Norwegians the way that he treats Mexicans. He doesn't treat the mm. the Chinese government the way he treats the Russian government, and I think it's because one's a Chinaman and the other one's a Russian. That's the reason. And I'm saying Chinaman because that's what he would say. Like I, I genuinely think that there is a part of him that I don't think it's consciously racist. I think he just has grown up in a world where most of his life the Chinese were commies, mm-hmm. the Koreans were bad. Yeah. You know, like, you grew up in a very whitewashed world. I see a lot of people, like, grandparent ages talk sometimes that's not acceptable today about things like that. Right. Commies or Japanese people. or Them Orientals. Yeah, or black people. Right. And you, every time I hear it, I kind of just dismiss it and give them a pass. Like, I feel like it's just with how they grew up and the words they were taught and... You know how people yeah. talked in school. It's, it's like and it's like Donald Trump hires. Gay, it doesn't ever get to me, right? Like Donald Trump doesn't hate gay people. He doesn't hate black people. He hires all these different ethnicities and right. and groups of people. And I think one on one, he interacts with those people. Fine, fine. And most baby boomers do, mm-hmm. right? But you, if you think about your grandparents, when they talk about the group of people, that's when they're racist. Yeah, they're not racist one on one, right? You know, you're right, but like it's because they grew up in a white culture, and like we as millennials have grown up in a multi-ethnic culture where, like, we understand that yes, there is a white culture, there is a black culture, there's other cultures, and like I'm just not gonna know what it's like to be black, and I'm not gonna try. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. I I'm I, not a Muslim. I can't understand what it's like. I to love be rap music. 
It, it doesn't mean I belong in the Casbah at 2 a.m. <laughs> on a Friday night, even though I've tried. You tried. I've tried. But so <laughs> I don't know, and I don't know if I'm making sense. But I just like I see it like in the in the um, in in the scapegoating of how the world has gone to a hell in a handbasket. We've got to put tariffs on the Chinese good because them Chinese have destroyed our jobs. Yeah. It's the same paranoia as the Japanese in the 80s. And it's both it's, sides doing those generalizations too. Right. Of course. It's like, it's those white men shooting schools and, uh, and <laughs> Yeah, have you heard about Kevin Williamson? Do you know who that is? Mm-mm. So Kevin Williamson is apparently like a great writer. I've read him several dozen times over the years. I just didn't know it was him. Uh and he wrote for the National Review and okay. he got hired by The Atlantic, which The Atlantic is a great publication. Uh, the Atlantic Interview is a really good podcast, too, um, with Jeffrey Goldberg. And so Jeffrey Goldberg is the editor of The Atlantic, and he wants to have a broad, diverse set of opinions on his paper, on his magazine, on his website. Mm-hmm. And The Atlantic is one of the best news sites. I go to it every day. Like there's a, They have a, a libertarian-leaning writer named Connor Friesendorf, who I think is one of the most interesting writers in the country. Like The dude just always... Every day he just writes something like I never saw it that way. Huh. Like I think he's great. Um, and so they hired Kevin Williamson, who is a traditional conservative Republican from the National Review, uh, apparently a great writer. He just wrote the article that you probably saw on Facebook. The Libertarian moment is over. Essentially, I didn't yeah. cover. I didn't cover it because I thought it was nonsense. Yeah. Like reading it, it was just like anytime a, a, a mainstream magazine writer writes about the Libertarian movement, the entire Libertarian movement is Ron or Rand Paul. Yeah, that's it. That's that's it. And so, like, because Rand Paul is flailing in the wind like his dad, the libertarian moment is over. But I don't even think he is. He isn't. He's made more strides than anybody else. Way more. Yeah. Way more than Ron. Yeah. I mean, I mean he's he's made Donald Trump change his mind on some things. Yeah. Ron. Ron that's more than you can say about any other. Ron wasn't <laughs> taken seriously by his right. colleagues. Right. Rand Paul sets agendas. Yeah. So I think he's been more successful in governing. Yeah. Uh, so... He wrote uh, The Death of the Libertarian Movement. That was the only uh, column that he got out. This is by Catherine Mangu Ward on Reason. Um, By firing Kevin Williamson, the Atlantic shows it can't handle real ideological diversity. Uh, But the thing that cost him the gig was a remark he said on a podcast, which is why I will never be hired by the Atlantic or anyone. Oh, no. Um, And someone challenged me on my views on abortion, he said. If you really thought about it, it's a crime. You would support things like life in prison, no parole, for treating it as a homicide. And I do in, and I do support that. In fact, as I wrote, what I had in mind was a hanging. And uh, Hanging people that have abortions? Yeah. Williamson expressed the view that abortion is murder and should be punishable to the full extent of the law, although he also later indicated that he has mixed feelings about capital punishment. I do not share his view, but by declaring Williamson to be outside the Overton window of acceptable political discourse because he believes strongly that abortion is a serious punishable crime, the Atlantic is essentially declaring that it cannot stomach real mainstream conservatism that actually exists in the 21st century. Uh, He uses colorful and rash language. He didn't have to detail the grisly form of punishment he would inflict on women who decide to terminate their pregnancies. He chose to do so because he enjoys provoking a reaction. But The Atlantic knew that before they hired him. Uh, Editor Jeffrey Goldberg says he uh, he decided to fire Williamson only after learning that the tweet and podcast, quote, represented his carefully considered views. 
But the underlying logic of Williamson's position is a view shared by roughly half or at least 40% of Americans. It is, of course, the perfect right of the Atlantic's editors to publish whomever they wish. Reason staffers are all libertarian under a big tent understanding of that term. Uh, that's written into our mission as a magazine. But if the Atlantic purports to capture a broad spectrum of American political views, Williamson's firing is a sign that it hasn't yet figured out how to do so. Uh, and guess who really organized and pushed the Williamson firing? Oh, no. Who did it? Who collected all of this information, who found this particular piece of information uh, on the podcast, who pushed it out to all of their friends in the media, who pressured Jeffrey Goldberg to fire him. If you were to guess who that organization would be, who is it? I don't know. George Soros. Mm, no, close. The left thought police, Media Matters. Media Matters. Yes. Should have guessed it. As we spoke I about. I should have guessed that. Yes. So uh, that is ground zero. Doesn't surprise me. For thought control. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, again, I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's not good because the siloing of the traditional conservative viewpoint into only commentary magazine, only human events, only National Review, and the writers are only moving between those groups, mm -hmm. never going into the New York Times, never going into uh, the Atlantic, and never ha having the coastal audiences that read those magazines, having them exposed to 40% of America, it's not good for the country. Oh, yeah. You're further and further delving more people into those small groups right? or those large thought groups. That dictate everything they even think nowadays. Right, and these these echo chambers have consequences because what you get is you get the baby boomer president mm -hmm. who just, you know, well, it's because the Chinese stole all of our jobs and we need to put tariffs on them. You know, it's because of Amazon and technology and they don't pay enough taxes so we need to punish them and slow technology down. It's because the Mexicans keep coming and stealing our jobs. So Donald Trump has announced that he is sending the military to the southwest border to guard against growing threats oh. from unchecked immigration. There we go. Uh, we are going to be guarding our border with our military. It's a big step. Good. So he is going to be asking the governors on southern borders to send the National Guard to the, uh, to the border. Now, it's not a big step. It's the exact same thing that Barack Obama and mm -hmm. George W. Bush did. did but you, did you know what? that Barack Obama sent National Guard troops to the border? No. It's amazing how that didn't get reported. Mm. Wasn't a big deal. Huh? Right. It's kind uh, of like uh, the job of the president. <laughs> right. Um, but now that Trump's done it, it'll be played over and over again, and it'll be demonized. Right. So in 2006, President George W. Bush announces plans to deploy 6,000 troops. Mm-hmm. Operation Jumpstart. I remember that one. Happened from June 2006 to July 2008. It cost 1.2 billion dollars. Uh, troops were deployed to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Uh, assists with undocumented immigrant apprehensions: 186,814 people. 11.7 percent of the total apprehensions on the Southwest land border. So they basically helped catch 12 percent of the people sneaking over. Uh, they helped seize. 316,000 pounds of marijuana. No, no, no. Chris, stop crying. Stop crying. It's okay. <sighs> All that marijuana. <laughs> You're upset, aren't you? I can tell. Uh, nine, that's 9% 9 of all the marijuana seized on the southwest border. Oh. 
Now, again, in uh, 2010, President Obama orders the deployment of 1,200 troops, Operation Phalanx. It happened from uh, for a year, basically, from 2010 to 2011. It cost $110 million. Uh, they, the troops were scaled back for aerial surveil- surveillance, and I don't know why I can't say that word. And then 17,000 people were caught in the first month, 5%. And 56,000 pounds of marijuana, 2.6% of weed caught. Wow. So so Bush is a lot more uh, well, efficient. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, you're talking about. It was less money and he got 12%, right? A, t- a two-year period with 200, you know, oh. 6,000 troops versus one year. But, you know, that that two years, 12% of the people caught at a cost of $1.2 billion. It's not worth it. Oh, but no, that was successful. That's what they're going to tell yeah, you. Right. That was very successful. We OG. should do that again next president. Oh, gee. <laughs> Please stop bringing all this marijuana in. Please stop bringing all this uh, employment. Like, here's the thing about, uh, I posted up on WALpolitics.com and WeAreLibertarians.com, uh, different videos on different sites. So you'll have to give me two clicks. Um, but... Uh, they're also in the show notes for this episode. Some YouTube videos from some various professors. And uh, Quartz had a great video where basically, you know, do do illegal immigrants cost Americans jobs? No. Because if you look at the pie chart, if you look at the bar graph, essentially it looks like a reverse snow hill. You know, it looks like a Hitler salute, like this way. Mm-hmm. You know, where <laughs> where it's going up. Right. <laughs> from the, from 1950 up to 2020 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's women in the workforce. And the amount of job opportunities went up and unemployment went down. Mm-hmm. So we're at an all-time high of women in the workforce mm-hmm. and unemployment's 3%, 4%. But now, they're but they're stealing her jobs. But let me ask you, Galt. It doesn't make sense because do Mexicans have some sort of superpower <laughs> that will steal a job that a woman like won't be able to? Like, do women have the magical? They power, got maybe? those calloused hands, man. Because I'm just thinking they can handle their wood. I'm just thinking that like if <laughs> you have one body come in and that increase in it, it, like you think maybe maybe it's just maybe I'm crazy. Like I'm just not using the right math. So what? Something. There should be more Mexican seamstresses. I'm just I'm just thinking that like more labor must create new job opportunities right. like the extra supply yeah increases demand especially in a in a, in a country no way. with a lot of innovation really but it can't be true because the more women that have been working the less unemployment and the more job opportunities like the more women trying to work there should be higher unemployment because they're stealing men's jobs right i'm confused i mean i just don't get it i just like the, the the charts, the economists must be wrong because they are <laughs> every time a Mexican comes over, yeah, the border or an El Salvadoran comes then over, then we lose a job. Then we're losing a job. Yeah. But like if a woman starts working, yeah. we're not. Yeah, we're an African American because they're white. I mean well, Americans. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it it is. It's it, it's so like again. If you look at the conversation around illegal immigration, the supply of labor. Yes, they are doing jobs Americans don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
But then the next generation goes on to work for Apple. <laughs> you know, like the next generation of kids. Uh, America is, uh, it's just, Donald Trump has just a very pessimistic worldview. Mm-hmm. And I find like the closed border argument to be this, the same as like the tariff argument. That if we just tax this hard enough, then it's we- It's culture protection. It's cultural protection is, mm-hmm. is exactly what it is. Like closed borders are the same things as tariffs. Mm-hmm. And so if you're for tariffs, you're probably for closed borders. That makes sense to me. Because you think you can use the force of government to stop growth. To stop the free market. Right. Well, you can't. No. So people are going to come to America, whether it's legal or not, because there's economic opportunity here. And the more people that come here, the more jobs we will find for them. Yeah. They're afraid that they see things like the smaller countries in Europe that, you know, have been overtaken by different religions that right. weren't weren't already there. You mean like Luxembourg, which has like two million people and is the size of Dayton, Ohio? Like, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Like, the left tries to make this comparison with the gun arguments. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the industrialized world and the first world, like, we're the only ones who do this. Switzerland has 20 million people. Stop. It's not the same thing. We have 330 <laughs> but, Americans. But gun bans work in Australia. <laughs> right. You, you mean, uh, well, they have like 40 million people. Country. That's uh, surrounded by water. <laughs> no other, well, there's one other country, but... <laughs> I, I, and so... Does New Zealand have strict gun laws? Uh, I believe so. So it's the whole continent. I, I don't know, but that's if... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but that's where I'm fleeing Matt Drudge style. Like, <laughs> to New Zealand? Yeah. If you, don't, if you don't hear from me, that's where I'm at. Yeah. That's where Ben Swan went. Is that where he's at? No. Oh. He's on YouTube now. <laughs> he, he lives on YouTube. Till he still does a video about guns. Listen, I'm telling. Off. I don't. I've never really watched much Ben Swan, but uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, Ben. You like setting up camp in YouTube. If you're gonna move to YouTube, that's well. He's using some kind of other YouTube platform too. You know, P- like YouTube. We might as well call it Google Google Plus YouTube. Don't, don't ask how. <laughs> but um, I I just ended up on Chris Cantwell's website last night. What? I was well. I was going through old bookmarks, and, and you had his website bookmarked. Oh uh, yeah, because yeah. I I used to go read it just yeah. because I never like I just wanted to see what he was saying. Because here's the thing about Cantwell: he was a libertarian for a long time. Yeah, but he was always considered like a fringe nut job libertarian. Yeah, I used to follow him too. Right, and so I'd go and check and see what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And he's on Gab TV and PewTube. 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 I had never se- I'd never seen that one before. I can't remember what Ben's is called, but I'd never heard of it either. And I went on there, and it was loading so slow right. that I was like, I'm going back to YouTube to watch him. <laughs> right. Well, that's that's the problem. Like, the, when I yeah. talk to the guys at Minds.com, like, he's like, yeah, we do video, but we can only do 15 minutes because it's, like, so much of our yeah. cost. No I one think, can compete with Google's like, bandwidth. Yeah. It's it's that's, and that's why they that's why you can't compete with those companies really. And their server space is massive. I know. <laughs> it, it's it, it's sort of an absurd argument. It's like, well, it's the free market. It's like no, these companies have used the government to gain a huge yeah. advantage, and they're about to double down. Like yeah. it's not the free market. They're they're crony capitalists like everybody else. Um, but I love my phone. Apple would never be a crony capitalist. Oh yeah, okay, right, right. Yeah, they're sucking Barack Obama. What did they do to your phone that's two years old? They updated it and made the battery worse. Right? What? Oh, but to make you buy new phones? That's not crony. Yeah, like (laughs) where's I threw it over here. Uh, Can you find the Google article? Do you see it? No, it's probably like right here. Uh, This might. (laughs) I'm I'm keeping a story log, but uh, so Google basically uh, the new head of Google. 
Yep. Google. Uh, now, this is Galt. You know, you're a big Google person. <sighs> I know you love Google. Google employees protest work for the Pentagon. Thousands of Google employees, including dozens of senior engineers, have signed a letter protesting the company's involvement in a Pentagon program that uses artificial intelligence to interpret video imagery and could be used to improve the targeting of drone strikes. The letter, which is circulating inside Google and has garnered 3,100 signatures, reflects a culture class between Silicon Valley and the federal government that is likely to intensify as cutting-edge artificial intelligence is increasingly employed for military purposes. We believe that Google, Google, mm -hmm. Google, uh, should not be in the business of war, says the letter, addressed to Sun Sundar Pichai, <laughs> the company's chief executive. Yep. It asks that Google pull out of Project Maven, a Pentagon pilot program, and announce a policy that will not ever build warfare technology. That kind of idealistic stance, while certainly not shared by all Google employees, comes to comes naturally to a company whose motto is don't be evil. So <laughs> essentially they are and Do you I, see why I love them? Oh yeah, I just love how they make Their motto's literally be good. Be good all the time. Be that, a good company. Yeah. And, in this evil world of evil companies. Be the good guys. And Donald Trump's making America great again. Oh, come on. Don't compare Google to Donald Trump. Branding slogans don't mean anything. It's written by some 23-year-old twerp in an ad agency in a branding office somewhere. Okay. How like, many people signed this petition? 3,100 people. 3,100. How many employees are there total? I don't know. How many? I don't know. I was asking. No, you're like the, the Google. <laughs> I, it might say in the article, but I didn't well, see that. Well, that's a lot. 3,100 people. Thirty. Well, and now that it's on the front page of the New York Times, I'm sure more will sign it. But There were 1,200 people at just the YouTube headquarters. So here's the quandary, okay? I think if you're Sundar and you're asked to serve your country and you're saying, listen, we, we, we're doing drones and drones save lives because we're not putting boots on the ground and... You know, we have a problem where we kill innocent families at weddings and we inappropriately bomb and kill American civilians without uh, uh, due process. And so we've got a real problem with this drones thing, as best outlined in Scott Horton's book, The Lords of Secrecy, uh, Sundar. Uh, can you help us make it more accurate so less people die? That sounds like a great way to serve my country. Yeah. I mean, you know, like so I can see from his perspective how mm -hmm. that would be an attractive thing. But I certainly get not wanting to work for a company that is involved in warfare. <laughs> well, but he's he, he's going to look at this and he's going to say, um, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. Sure. Do you want you know Apple running AI for the government or do you want Google doing it? Right. You don't want Apple doing it. Apple's motto isn't be good. <laughs> Apple's motto is... Yes. Be bad. Yes. The Lie. The people who Cheat, are scam your customers out of money and take actively it. banning people based on so Apple isn't the one censoring us on <clears throat> on YouTube because because Apple doesn't own YouTube and they never could. That's why. No, the richest company on the planet could never. Oh, do richest that. company on the planet. You sound like Trump now making your alternative facts. Are they not? No, they're not the richest they have the company. Most cash on, the on hand. I've never heard that. Well, Apple has more cash on hand than any company in the world. Richest. Company in the world, 2018. The world's top 25 companies, according to Forbes. Uh, yeah, don't get caught being evil is their new motto. <laughs> uh, 
Number one, China IBC. See? It's a company you've never even heard of. Never even heard of it. Doesn't Self-service banking, so it's a bank. See? A bank is the largest company in the world. China Construction Bank, number two. Oh, number two is the largest bank. Uh, another bank. J.P. Morgan Chase. Oh, another bank. Yeah, imagine this. <laughs> I feel like you're getting General Electric's number four. Oh, not a bank. Uh, no, they're a bank. Oh. GE Capital. Uh, Exxon Mobil. They're H- not a bank. HSBC, number six. Not the oil. Shell. Oil. Mm-hmm. So oil and banking run the world. Bank of China. Yeah, so a lot of banks. Where's Berkshire Hathaway? All right, we got a, an American there. So I watched an interview of Elon Musk once, and they were like, oh, you know, AI is coming. You know, what do you think about AI? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, there's infinite possibilities of our future. And, you know, Elon, he's boring to listen to. But um, if you listen to him, <laughs> he's like, uh, I'm, there's only one company I'm afraid of. And they, they were like, is it Amazon? And he was like, <laughs> Amazon who? <laughs> he was like, laughed at him. Then they were like, well, is it Apple? And he was like, no. And then they were like, well, is it Google? And he's like, you know what? I'm just not going to answer. <laughs> so like when they, you know that he was talking about Google. Right. That's why the, like that we were talking about the Amazon thing earlier. And that's, that's, that's why it's hard to, to decide winners and losers in these things with the government is because Amazon has an ongoing, a pending deal with the Pentagon uh, for cloud services and backup. Right. Like, they're trying to get the Pentagon to use the Amazon cloud as their backup storage. Yeah, but it's not the whole it's Pentagon. It's a pretty big deal, though. It, but it's but not it's, the whole Pentagon. But valuable-wise, it, it's bigger than... It was a it was a, it was was a a project yeah. that the Pentagon had. It wasn't the whole Pentagon. It was still a big deal. But, I mean, 43% of the internet is run by Amazon Web Services. Right. So it's, it's incredibly powerful, but also Google plays a huge role in directing thought control. I mean, it's... It is a company that y- you you see the internet through Google's eyes. Huh. Some they have some very very beautiful eyes. <laughs> Colorful. I mean, I'm not I, I'm not a person who's like ah oh, I I prefer Apple products obviously. Yeah. But like I'm not one of these people who's like oh, I'm not a fanboy like you. You know what I mean? Like all these companies to me I, I think have tremendous benefit to humanity. No. Nope. But anytime- Apple has zero. In any time you have anything that is that significant, like these companies yeah. are, there's there's serious risks with it. Yeah, you know Zuckerberg coming out and saying that every single person on their platform probably has been compromised. Like here's here's the thing about this uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, you never see in the any of these reports, in any of these articles, what is the information that got taken. What right. is the information they scraped? Have you seen that anywhere? Nope. And was it my password? Was it my right. phone number? Was it my email? email my was birthday? it just my name and my birthday? That I liked. Was it my pictures? Your, my likes? They never say that because they don't want you to be fully informed about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's a propaganda campaign to hurt their competitor that's unregulated. Right. Like it's bullshit. Yeah. All right. Well, it I, is. I feel like we've done a lot here. Um, three episodes of this week, uh, and I've got an interview on Sunday. Bad Trump. With somebody. Bad Trump. So how are you feeling about Trump? Come back. Go back to last year, Trump. Right. <laughs> it's only going to get worse, you know. Oh, don't say that. Because the Republicans are going to lose the House big in November, and they're probably going to lose... Uh, if they lose the Senate, then they're... Ugh. 
Yeah. They're idiots because there's like 18 seats and 12 of them are Republican yeah. favorable. And like if they lost the Senate. If, if I don't want to see the Democrats in control of Congress while Trump is president. Because he will just give them whatever I'm he really wants. really nervous about him. because yeah, he's a people pleaser. Yeah, he's, he's and not. He's not going to not get anything done for two years while they have control. He's gonna, he's going to make deals with them. He's literally like peace. He's like an Orwellian, like uh, you know, uh, he's he's the opposite of what he presents. He's not strength. Yeah. He's not a great deal maker. He's terrible at deals. He's completely inconsistent. He's undermined by his own people all the time. Like he's not a strong man. Like he's a fairly weak man. You know, well, we need to elect Trump because he's strong. What's he strong at? Like, at this point, there's nothing that he's strong at except bullshit. <laughs> well, as a libertarian, I always make sure I watch all the libertarians that have any kind of power. And Rand's, Rand's only power has been that he's, his yeah. only leverage has been that he's the swing vote. Yeah. So if the Dems take over the Senate, look to never see him again. Trump had. As, he won't get any FaceTime with Trump anymore yeah. or anything. As Trump, as Jonah Goldberg said, Trump had two mandates: don't be Hillary Clinton, and Supreme Court justices. And like that, to me, has been like that. That signifies kind of exactly like Trump. The way that all these people on uh, in the swamp look at Trump is that he's controllable because mm-hmm. he's kind of a fool, mm-hmm. but he's at least better than. Hillary Clinton, who's dangerous. Yeah, he's controllable, but the minute he finds out you're controlling him, you're fired. Right. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> he isn't. He doesn't like it. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't notice. He's he's <laughs> he's a he's he's the most powerful people in the world are are Fox the Fox News. Steve Ducey is basically <laughs> the most powerful person in the country. <laughs> Steve fucking Ducey. <laughs> so, all right, guys. This has been a great episode. Thank you to uh, Chris Galt for being here. Yeah, uh, anytime, Chris. I love it. Here. Your final thoughts? Um, let's just hope it doesn't turn into ba- like next. You know, our next show together isn't badder Trump <laughs> <laughs> or or worse Trump or something. Well, uh, this episode we're going to ca- uh, talk good about Trump. The, let's do good Trump next. The time. gun <laughs> confiscation that no. That's the cool thing about this show that you never know what's going to happen next week. I know. It could be a great show. It could be a downer show. It just all depends ne- on what, what we might, they decide they're going to do. We might talk 9-11 in the comedy club. You oh, never yeah. know. <laughs> I look back and I go, like, yeah, that was a- our 200th episode and we talked 9-11 at a comedy club because our plans kind of fell through. <laughs> and, uh, like, it didn't really hit me. But then at one point, Greg just goes, did we just do 9-11 in a comedy club? <laughs> it's not too soon anymore, which, right? Which was, which was Greg's subtle way of saying, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks yeah. for joining us. Thank you to Christy Avery. Thank you to Brandon Luke. Thank you to Craig DaCosta. Thank you to Jason Doolittle. Uh, Mittens is here by the microphone. She wants to give an especial big thank you to Jason Doolittle. Who sent Cat Gogurt to the girls? Uh, I got it in an Amazon package, wow. and it was like it's like these little tubes of basically looks like cat yogurt. It smells horrendous. They love but it. Though. They lost their minds. <laughs> so Mitten says thank you. That's great. Uh, they they love getting treats. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Uh, they are hundred dollar subscribers. They make the world go round. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for listening. Uh, I would love. 
love, love, as the weather starts to get nicer, if you would do me a favor. Many more of your friends are going to be out mowing the lawn. We see the numbers tick up in the summertime because you're all downloading more podcasts because you're outside more. Uh, so please share this with your friends. Say, listen, they talk about politics, but they're not they're not Sean Hannity. They're not, you know, I try hard not to be Tommy Lauren. Uh, I try hard not to be just a shrill partisan uh, and uh, try to try to give you a fair and balanced look at everything that's going on. Try to give you a, the facts so you that thing that you might have heard about a little bit on Facebook and you're wondering what's going on. Like Donald Trump is bashing Amazon. I don't have time to figure out that th- you spend four hours a week with us. You're going to figure out yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So please, I think we've got a great show here and it's only going to get better. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. And support us on Patreon. We are libertarians.com. You can find out everything you need to know. Now you know the death penalty is only for the murderous drug dealers. <laughs> right. Not the regular drug dealers. And Chris Galt <laughs> supports AAA killing you. <laughs> That's one of my favorite segments in a while. So you're like, so it's okay if AAA kills you as long as you sign a piece of paper. Yeah. Okay. And listen, I'm for euthanasia. Like, I think if you want to go, it's your time to go. Can I ask for help? There's too many, yeah. I can have somebody help me? There's too many people on this planet. Oh, man, it's so hard to get it done nowadays. I know. (laughs) You can't get help. That mouthless was really onto something right. (laughs) There's too many people around. Uh, (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you. Uh, We will see you next week. Uh, Who knows? Like, it... Like I could sit here and I I, I can kind of tell you on the Tuesday show what we're going to talk about Thursday because I had an idea. I already had the show notes all together for this episode, uh, but I can't even begin to tell you what we're going to talk about Tuesday because Friday, <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Oh, man, if you planned Tuesday. it now, you'd have to change the whole thing the in whole two thing. days. <laughs> the whole thing. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Thanks so much for watching, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.